everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow. And I'm Derek Lavasser. So today we are continuing on with the Dan Markell series, and we're going to dive into that. But first, do you want to say anything? No, I was just saying to you before we hit record, two things. On Crime Weekly News this week, I mentioned I mentioned this, uh, this flannel. We were joking about it. And in mm-hmm. fact, I want to make sure I get it right. It's actually from one of our sponsors. How do you say it again? Quince? Quince. Quince. Yeah, Quince. So, you know, shout out to them. They're not even sponsoring this week's episode, but this is pretty comfortable. So we actually do rock the stuff that we uh, we talk about on here. And secondly, I mentioned it on Crime Weekly News as well. New background. Let me know what you guys think in the comments. It's not done yet. I got more I want to do, but let me know if you like it better than the old uh, background that was in here. I don't I can't imagine you wouldn't. But um, who knows? Maybe some of you are going to be like, it's terrible. And then that'll suck because that's all glued up there. So not really much I can do about <laughs> There's it. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah. If you don't like it, tough shit. But I still want to hear your opinions on it. If you have any ideas, I'm going to add some more stuff to it. Shout out to, to Ashley, the, my assistant. She helped me with all, everything. We still have more to go, but we're getting there. So for the new year, wanted to start with a new background. We're upgrading things around here on Crime Weekly. Let's, you know, making it happen. New year, new background. Yeah. And if you're listening on audio, this means nothing to you. But you should look on, on YouTube and see. Go so you check can it out. Go opinion. comment. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're on audio and you can't see it, just comment you like it anyways. <laughs> but that's all I got. I know we got a, a good episode tonight. We got a lot of B-roll for you guys this evening. So we can get right into it. And by the way, I, I've read the comments. They don't want me to spoil shit. So I'm going to really make a conscious effort to do that tonight because I know this case and people are like, Derek, stop. So I'm going to I'm going to do that today. Are you capable of that? I don't know. That's why we got to learn. We got to see where we're at. <laughs> you guys will surely let me know in the comments, but I'm going to try to do a better job of not kind of foreshadowing what's coming. All right. Well, I, I don't mind your little foreshadowing because to me, I know also what happens and I get excited. I'm like, yes, we're going to talk about that. But yeah, I, get it. Don't like I get it. it. Yeah, I get it. So quick recap to where we are in the case so far as we enter part three. Florida State University law professor Dan Markell went through a bitter divorce with his wife, fellow college professor Wendy Adelson, starting in September of 2012, when he came home from a business trip to find Wendy and their two sons gone and signed divorce papers waiting for him on his bed. For a while, Dan didn't know where his wife and children were, but he eventually learned that Wendy had taken the boys to Coral Springs, where her parents lived. When Wendy Adelson filed a motion to relocate with her children from Tallahassee to South Florida, she was denied permission to do so by Leon County Circuit Judge Hobbs, the same judge who granted the divorce on July 31, 2013. There is a plethora of evidence showing that Wendy's family, especially her mother, Donna Sue Adelson, wanted Wendy and the boys to live in Coral Springs with them, and Donna Sue suggested to Wendy that there was multiple tactics she could use to convince Dan Markell to allow this to happen. Donna Sue suggested offering Dan $1 million. She also came up with a plan to have the Markell boys baptized in a Catholic church, something that Dan, who was deeply devoted to the Jewish faith, would have been very upset about. Donna Sue had pretty much made Wendy and her two sons her entire world, 
There was nothing that she would not do to get them closer to her and further away from Dan, who Donna Sue described as a religious zealot and an emotionally abusive husband. Not long before his death, Dan filed a motion to enforce parenting issues, and his main gripe was with Donna Sue Adelson, the grandmother of his two sons. Markel asked the court to prevent Donna Sue from having unsupervised time with his sons because he had discovered she'd been making disparaging comments about him to the kids. Before the court could decide on this motion, Dan Markell was dead, shot execution style in the garage of his Tallahassee, Florida home. By the way, that's another thing. Listen to the comments. Uh, people are very, uh, they're, they're wondering why we're saying Donna Sue. I'm going to start saying Donna this episode because apparently that's how she refers to herself, Donna, not Donna Sue. But I was like, it technically is her full name. I mean, that's that going to be, thing. yeah, that, I mean, that is uh, how the court papers and everything. Yeah, reporter is Donna Refer Sue. To so her. Everyone's um, like, every, there was a, I think I responded to one person where they were like, why are you guys referring to her as Donna Sue? And I said, well, that, that is her legal name. That is name. her name. And, and I also, <laughs> and she said, none of the other podcasts do. And I said, you're just proving the point. That's why you listen to different podcasts because we all have different perspectives, not not saying one's more right than the other. But um, yeah, I, I do remember that uh, she does refer to herself as Donna I mean, I do we really forth. care how she refers to herself, considering what type of person she is? No. I no, kind of want to keep calling her Donna Sue in the hopes that it will agitate her. You know, yeah. kind of like she tortured Dan Markell. I kind of want to, you know, do a little torturing myself. Yep. We had a lot We had a lot of engagement on these last two episodes. We had mm-hmm. a lot of people who were responding about the reading of your significant other's book mm-hmm. and also my questioning of... The fact that Wendy decided not to change her name. Most people were constructive. They're like, hey, listen, I didn't want to change my name because I was a doctor or I had Mm -hmm. degrees or whatever. And honestly, that all makes sense. Totally get it. Then you had some people who go a little further where they're like, oh, I'm not I'm not conforming to this, you know, tradition of becoming an extension of my husband. It wasn't that deep for me personally. It was more so just But it may like, have been that deep for Wendy, right? It, it may have been that yeah. deep for Wendy, which is why I brought it up to you, which was why I was I was perplexed by it because it seems like in their tradition that would have been the, the, the choice that they would go with where she would the she would take his name. Yes. But the fact that she didn't, and it was even mentioned, I believe by you that in the write-up of the wedding announcement, it was spelled out in there that the the um, Wendy would retain her last name. Mm-hmm. And to me, that may be just insignificant to most people, maybe a, a practical reason, like your your job or just, again, it's your father's your name. Your identity, you wanna, yeah. Yeah, you want to keep it, period. No explanation needed. But I feel like in this situation, which is why I brought it up, there's probably more to it. There was probably more to it, just based on what we know about the Adelsons now. But I wasn't necessarily saying that because it was that case in this situation. It was for everybody out there who hasn't changed their name. I, really, I'm indifferent about it. I could care less. But I know I know that some people were commenting about that as well. Yeah, I think when we when we pose questions like that in these episodes, we're posing them in the the contextual like texture of the case we're talking about, right? Yeah, the people so, we're discussing. Yeah. So I think when you had asked like why would why would someone do that, it was more of a like, let's speculate on why Wendy would have decided mm. to keep her last name. You know, like why in this specific instance would Wendy have made that decision? And it could have been something as simple as, oh, I'm a you know, I'm a professional and this is how people know me. Or it could have been deeper, like, well, I don't want this man's last name. I don't 
identify as part of his family. I identify as part of the family I came from, which will always be my top priority and whose opinions I will always defer to over that of my husband. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I think that question came. And um, you made a great point, too, because you brought up your own situation and it can be as simple as you joking about it. It was funny. Yeah, I was lazy. You were just like, I was lazy and I, it wasn't a cool name. And yeah. I was like, that, I mean, that makes sense. Like, I mean, <laughs> if you don't want, like, you don't want it. So I think for everybody, it's, I think for everybody out there, which was the main sentiment in the comment section was everyone has their own reasons and they don't even need to give their reasons. They just, one person who obviously was upset about it was like, maybe because I just didn't want to. Mm, yeah. Some people no, got a little tricky. No doubt. Do you yeah. think, girl? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm all for it. But um, but in this case, like you said, contextually with this case, I, do, I don't think it was that simple. Mm-mm. I think there was more meaning to it, which again, it, it's with what we know now about the Adelsons. I don't think that's a far stretch. I 100% agree with you. There was definitely yeah. more to it in, in our opinion. Now, we could be completely off base, but we're just we, we can only tell you what we think based and, and on what we know. You're coming here for our opinion. So, yeah. Here we are with the opinion. (laughs) So Dan Markell was shot on July 18th, 2014, and his neighbor, James Geiger, called 911 at approximately 11 a.m., telling the dispatcher that he believed Dan Markell had been shot, which seems to be a detail that would make this 911 call a top priority. Yet the Tallahassee Police Department did not arrive until 15 minutes after that call was made. It took Leon County Emergency Medical Services 19 minutes to arrive, and the fire department did not pull up to Dan Markell's Prescott Drive home until 24 minutes after the 911 call. A later investigation into this very delayed first responders response time revealed some human and technological errors that had been made after James Geiger called 911. According to the Tallahassee Democrat, quote, a neighbor called 911 at exactly 11 a.m. and said the professor may have been shot, but the call taker never understood the reference as an actual condition, so he classified it as priority three rather than a priority one, which would have prompted the nearest ambulance, fire truck, and Tallahassee Police Department cruiser to rush to the scene as soon as possible. But it appears the CAD system, or CAD system, also allowed an incorrect address to be put into the system that morning, causing EMS crew to head to another address instead of in the direction of Markell's Trescott Drive home. Within 90 seconds, the call taker realized the address was incorrect and that the situation was more dire than he had originally thought. When he tried to relay that corrected information to dispatchers, it did not happen. End quote. Tim Lee, the executive director of the dispatch agency, claims this was due to a software-driven error that ultimately sent first responders to the wrong address. And because of this delay, Dan Markell did not arrive at Tallahassee Memorial Hospital until 30 minutes after the 911 call had been made. And the following day, Dan would pass away from his wounds. Yeah, I'm not going to go too deep on this because it's, 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 you explained it perfectly. And there's no justification or no... You, it's it's not right, but just like any profession, mistakes can happen. Whether it's technology, whether it's human error, and I, I'd be lying to you guys if I said that things like this, maybe not this significant, happened in, in my own career. Mm-hmm. Just like they've probably happened in your career as well. For the people listening and watching out there, the problem is is what's at stake when it comes to firefighters, uh, rescue workers, you know, first responders in general, police officers. The margin of error is very little when you're dealing with human lives. And so we can't have those mistakes. Although, even though that's what we strive for, Mm -hmm. the reason it's called a mistake is 
is pretty self-explanatory. It's, it's, it's not intentional. Um, so it's unfortunate. Could it have made a difference for Dan? I mean, it's possible he survived to the next day. I'm not a doctor. Who's to say? Um, so it's very unfortunate when you think about how one little mistake can change the outcome of a story in a situation where if he had gotten there faster, who knows? Maybe Dan Markell is still here to tell his story. They said that they had done an investigation into that and they they didn't think that it would have made much of a difference. I mean, Dan right. did survive overnight. He didn't die till the next day. He when we we talk about where he was shot, I right. think it's it's pretty difficult to yeah. walk away from that, no yeah. matter how quickly you get to the hospital. But I agree. Still I agree. We we would like for that to not happen again. Let's not make it part <laughs> of the story, you know? <laughs> Let's have it just be yeah, I agree completely. Let's not make it part of the story. But yeah, he was shot. I mean, his glasses broke in half. So yeah. it's it was a high likelihood he was going to die from his injuries anyways. But when again, when something like this happens, it just brings into question, which is not a bad thing because there's always room for improvement. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, the biggest changes happen when something like this occurs. So that's good. So it seemed like there was actually a few issues with this system. and with the CAD system? Yeah, and Dan's, Dan's situation kind of shone a light on that and then yeah. they were able to do an internal investigation and fix things and move things around so you know hopefully a positive thing for any future emergency calls agree yeah absolutely when officer david sims of the tallahassee police department first arrived on the scene he noted that dan's black honda accord was in the garage and still running the side window was shattered and dan was alive but unresponsive he was slumped over the passenger seat, breathing rapidly, and he still had his iPhone in his hand. In Dan's lap lay his glasses. They were broken at the bridge and missing a lens, which was later found on the driver's seat. Joanne Maltese, a forensic specialist, would also be on the scene, and she took photos of Dan's car, including the window with a bullet hole in it. Maltese also collected DNA swabs, which would be sent to the crime lab for testing, but ultimately these swabs would not produce any useful evidence. There were no bullet casings found at the scene of the murder, which led law enforcement to believe that the murder weapon used on Dan Markell may have been a revolver. And Elizabeth Ritchie, a firearms analyst with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, she analyzed the two fired bullets and found them both to be 38 caliber, and they had both been fired from the same weapon. Upon his arrival at the hospital, Dan was treated by surgeon Shelley Blank, who worked to save him from the gunshot wounds. He had one bullet that had went through his cheek and another in his forehead, which did end up being his cause of death. It was also discovered during Dan Markell's autopsy that his head and cheek wounds had soot deposits in them, which was also consistent with a revolver being used in his murder. Dr. Anthony Clark, the medical examiner, concluded that both the bullets had been fired only 18 to 24 inches away from Dan's head. But that's not the worst of it, because according to the book Extreme Punishment by Stephen Epstein, quote, the bullet that penetrated Dan's left cheek was lodged in the soft tissue just below his ear canal. The medical examiner felt certain Dan was still conscious after being struck by that first bullet and surmised that he reflexively raised his left arm when the bullet and glass fragments struck his face. That explained why gunshot residue was found on his left arm, likely deposited when the gun fired a second time. In Dr. Clark's opinion, the wounds from the first gunshot wound, though serious, weren't fatal. The second bullet, which blasted through Dan's face just above his left tear duct, had burrowed through his brain and was found in the back of his skull. Dr. Clark concluded that the second bullet initially struck the bridge of Dan's glasses, flattening its tip milliseconds before penetrating his face. 
the deformed nature of the projectile increased the damage it was inflicting as it plowed through the law professor's brain, causing massive hemorrhaging. It was that hemorrhaging, Dr. Clark determined, that ultimately ended Dan's life, end quote. So yeah, in a situation like that, in my opinion, I'm not a doctor, obviously. (laughs) You guys know that. The bullet burrowed through his brain and was in the back of his skull. So even if he did survive, he's not walking away unscathed. There's going to be brain damage. He might never wake up. You know, I don't think that an extra 20 to 30 minutes at the hospital would have performed a miracle. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it now, knowing the ballistics and the way it went in, as the doctor had said, the first one strikes his cheek. And at that point, Dan realizes something's going on coming from his left side. So he turns, puts his hand up, and that's why the second round goes through the front of, you know, through the bridge of his glasses first. And with it's so, it's hard to explain over over YouTube or even on audio, but the projectiles, when they hit anything at that speed, it deforms them instantaneously. It doesn't take much, even just a pair of glasses. And believe it or not, the thinner the bullet is, the le- the the higher likelihood that it could be a through and through, meaning going mm-hmm. through the front side of your body or the back side and coming out and causing the le- less damage. Least damage, yeah. What you don't want is like it's describing here is a flat bullet. Like we in law enforcement have uh, bullets that actually they're hollow points. So when they're fired, the tip actually expands to <sighs> in, like mushrooms. Yeah. And the reason is for stopping power and to increase, unfortunately, the damage, right? Mm-hmm. To, to make sure that whatever they're sh- the officers shooting at, but it's not only officers that use hollow points. A lot of people do. Um, it causes more damage internally, and it's less likely to go out to be an exit wound. It's going to stay inside, and, it, and it, it, it definitely causes more damage to whatever it's striking. So in this case, that flattening of the bullet would have slowed it down and, again, caused a bigger entry wound, but also a bigger exit wound if it had gone through. It didn't go through the backside, right? No. Right. So it stayed inside his skull. Yeah, it's tough. It's definitely difficult. and Probably stippling... because that deformity of the bullet sort of slowed down yeah. its its progress, right, at the, at the end of the day, or it would have gone through. But is another reason you would use hollow bullets like that or hollow point bullets hollow like that it, so that there is no exit wound and you don't have a chance of, like, someone else getting hit in the crossfire, like that bullet going through that person who it was intended for and hitting somebody behind them? That's an interesting point. I've never heard of it that way. I know when we were doing entry, like SWAT stuff, like we weren't called SWAT, we're called CERT, but we would use uh, frangible rounds. Do you know what that is? No. Okay. So we would use, with an AR-15, we would use uh, two, two, three rounds, like the big rifle rounds that we refer to on the show sometimes. Those rounds, those frangible rounds, anytime they hit something, they will disintegrate. They'll like explode. And the reason for that is, is with a regular AR-15 round, a regular 223 round, it'll go through the person, the drywall behind them, and and other things. It could hit someone in the the, the next room over because of how fast it's traveling, the feet per second. So by using frangible rounds, they're more likely to disintegrate upon upon impact. Um, so I wouldn't say it's although it could be a side ben- um, an added benefit to not hit other people in the in you know, that are in the surrounding area. More so, I wish I had a better way of saying it because I know some people are going to be pissed about this, but the reason you use a hollow point round is because it it, it inflicts the most damage. It's, it, it's, that's, that's really what it comes down to. So in this situation, they're talking about a revolver being used. Do they yep. just mean a handgun? 
it, they just mean a handgun, but a revolver in the sense where it's not a pistol. So it's going to be chambering around and obviously it's revolving around the chamber and it's, you know, if you look it up, we'll probably have something on the screen here. You can have six to eight rounds and as one round gets fired, the chamber turns and then the next round goes into the, into the barrel and that one's fired after that. With revolvers, the reason why you'll have a situation with the revolvers is with a, with a handgun, like a Glock or a SIG or something like that. When you fire the gun, the round is, is extracted through a claw, it pulls it out, and the shell casing of that bullet will be thrown onto the ground nearby. So usually you'll have shell casings with a semi-automatic pistol like a Glock or Sig Sauer or Smith & Wesson. But when somebody's using a revolver, the shell casings, the bullets are loaded into the, round, into the gun manually. And when the round is fired, the shell casing is not extracted. That's why you have to open it and dump them out. That's why you have to open and dump like it out. Like an old because, school, like, yes, like exactly. Western, you have to right? like rack yeah. it onto your hand. Yeah. So it's like you'll have six rounds in there, let's say. And basically, as soon as you fire the chamber, the the actual whatever that part's called, will just twist and the next round will be loaded. But the shell casing itself, you can still see it from the back of the gun. And so that is an, a benefit to using a revolver because it won't leave those shell casings behind. But with a revolver, I will say... You can't see it to the human eye. You can see the cloud, but under like a, a special camera lens, the the plume of smoke and gunpowder that is formed around a pistol when it's fired, even just a normal Glock, is large. Now, over a revolver where there's more areas for the gun residue, the gunpowder to, to escape, it's even larger. So with a revolver like that, you would have a large plume of smoke after the gun is fired where you're going to get it on Dan's arm, the car, his face, et cetera. You're going to have it on the shooter's hand and arm and his chest as well. And this is speculation on my part, but with this particular incident, what I believe is the suspect fired the first round and without being too graphic here, it's instantaneous. As soon as it hits, you know where that round hit. And it would be very obvious to the shooter that when he sh fired that first round, he struck him in the cheek. Let's and just put it that way. it wasn't where he wanted to I'll shoot just, him. Let, yeah. We'll just leave it at that. It would be very obvious based on the damage that would occur in that moment where where the bullet hit. Yeah. And at, at that moment, he probably realized, oh, I hit him in the cheek. Let me move the gun a little bit to the right. And then obviously Dan turned around, so he's able to shoot him right in the face. And they they knew that both bullets had been fired from the same gun. So initially they're thinking at, le at least one shooter but they're going to get information later on that's going to lead them to believe there was two people present at the death of Dan Markell. And let's take a quick break and we'll talk about that when we get back. The Helix Sleep lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. And unlike a lot of mattress companies out there, Helix owns its own manufacturing facility. Each and every Helix mattress is made by a team of skilled manufacturers and shipped directly from their facility to your door. 
And everybody's unique, everyone sleeps differently, and Helix knows that, and that's why they offer several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know what your perfect Helix mattress is? All you have to do is get started in the same exact way that I did by taking the Helix sleep quiz and finding your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And if you sleep with a partner, you can choose that option. You can take this quiz together and find the perfect compromise for you both. And like I said, Helix Helix offers so many different models. They have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. They have models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. And they even have enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night because it is best if your body slowly cools down at night for the most ideal sleep. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you because every Helix mattress has a hybrid design which combines individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top to make the perfect combination of comfort and support. I've had my uh, Helix mattress, it's the Midnight Lux model, for several years. The kids each have their own Helix mattress, so everybody in this house sleeps on a Helix mattress, and it's honestly improved my sleep so much because I would roll out of bed in the morning on my old mattress thinking that I was just getting older because everything hurt, but it doesn't have to be that way. I was really sore in the morning because I was tossing and turning. I couldn't get comfortable. I couldn't find a comfortable position, but I've never had that issue, never had that issue on my Helix Helix sleep mattress. Every morning I wake up and I, you know, sometimes a little achy and a little stiff, but I'm never in pain like I was before because honestly, the Helix sleep mattress provides the best sleep that I've ever had. So we love our Helix sleep mattresses here. I know Derek has one too. I think he also has the Midnight Lux. And we really think that if you're in the market for a new mattress, Helix is the only way to go. And Derek's going to tell you how you can get a great deal on a Helix sleep mattress right now. Yeah, that's right. I have the Midnight Lux. I've had I think almost what we've had them for almost two years now. I know you've had them longer, but yeah, I've had a, I've had it for about wow longer than that. Almost five years I've had my mattress. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't sleep on any other mattress at this point. And if you guys want to check it out right now, is a great time. Helix is offering twenty percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners and viewers. All you have to do is go to helixsleep.com slash crime weekly and use our code helixpartner20. That's all one word, Helix Partner 20. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So the investigation started with Detective Craig Isom taking the lead. Now, to the police, it was clear that Dan had been the target of a personal attack. He still had cash in his wallet, which was located in his car, along with a stack of credit cards in the glove box, and Dan's laptop computer was in the back seat. The house showed no signs of forced entry, and nothing was missing. The crime scene was roped off with police tape, and detectives got right to work tracking down leads, the first of which was provided by Dan Markell's neighbor, James Geiger. Now, remember that James had been in his living room next door sitting with his wife while they worked on their iPads, and he'd heard a loud popping noise. Because there'd been some robberies in the neighborhood, James looked outside his window, which faced the road, at which point he observed a small, light-colored car at the end of Dan's driveway. The car sped off in the direction of Benton Road, and this suspicious vehicle and its suspicious behavior was what caused James Geiger to go over and check on his neighbor, Dan. Based on the description of the vehicle seen on Trescott Drive, investigators began retracing Dan Markell's steps the morning of his murder, and they started pulling surveillance videos from the places he visited, as well as roads along his path. We know that Dan dropped his sons off at daycare before heading to Premier Health and Fitness, 
where he arrived at approximately 9.12 a.m., and surveillance video showed a silver or light green Toyota Prius enter the fitness center parking lot right after Dan. While Dan was inside, the Prius remained in the parking lot, moving to different parking spots until Dan left the gym at 10.38 a.m., at which time the Prius followed him out of the parking lot. Video from the Star Metro City bus system was also collected into evidence. Video captured from two different buses driving on Thomasville Road in Tallahassee showed what appeared to be that same exact Prius following Dan home and driving in the opposite direction after Dan was murdered. All right, what is this vehicle in the blue circle? That is Mr. Markell's Honda four-door flak. And is he entering the gym parking lot in this image? Yes, he's entering off of uh, Village Square Boulevard. Once again, that's him coming down north to south from Village Square Boulevard in the parking lot. And is that him pulling into that parking spot behind the flag? It is. All right. Does he exit his vehicle immediately? No, it takes a couple minutes. This is uh, what's being determined as a suspect vehicle. And does the suspect vehicle turn into the parking lot behind Mr. Markell? Not directly. The suspect vehicle goes all the way up Village Square Boulevard to McClay and then comes in the main entrance of right. Premier. So is that the suspect vehicle driving past the Correct. victim? Correct. And that's Markell exiting his car. Okay. And is the time on this correct, 9-12 Yes. Here's Mr. Markell entering the front doors. And what does the suspect vehicle do while Mr. Markell's in the gym for approximately an hour, a little better than an hour? Uh, suspect, the driver of the suspect vehicle moves to different locations within the parking area, off to one end, and then moves again, and then ends up behind trees. But as far as you can tell, stays in the parking area? Oh, yeah. Yes. So Markel's already entered, and now the car is driving past by again. All right. What's happening now? Uh, Mr. Markel is now exiting the building from there. And at what time does he exit? 10.39. So are we going to see Mr. Markel pull out of the parking lot here? Yes. And the suspect vehicle follow behind? Correct. It's Markel's car heading back the way it came in. The circle is indicating where the suspect vehicle is coming from in the back. All right, let's talk about the bus. Are there cameras mounted on our city buses here in Tallahassee? There are. All right, and did those buses capture some of the route from where these two vehicles went after they left Premier Gym that morning? Yes, a good deal of it. All right, where did Mr. Markell head when he left the gym that morning? Uh, he went out to Village uh, Square Boulevard to Thomasville Road, and then southbound on Thomasville Road towards his uh, neighborhood in Benton Hills. If you could tell us about Bus 505, what does that show us? Bus 505 is pulling up here. The bus is, the, the bus is uh, traveling east on McClay Commerce Drive. Um, it comes up to this intersection, and that is what appears to be Markel's Black Honda southbound on Thomasville. So he's left Premier gone to Thomasville Road, and now he's southbound. That's what appears to be the same Prius, green Prius, that was in the premier parking lot, is following in the direction that Markell went. This same bus turned off of McClay Commerce Drive, went southbound, and caught up to a similar Prius here at the intersection of Metropolitan Boulevard. Is the route we're seeing the Prius take in this portion of the exhibit consistent with heading toward the Markell residence? Yes. Does this bus catch up with the Prius again before he turns off toward the Markell residence? 
Yes, uh, right there where the circle is, that appears to be the same Prius in the left-hand turn lane for Benton Road. The Prius is making the left-hand turn on the Benton Road. Right, and at what time does the Prius make that left-hand turn? I don't have the exact time. Um, does 1051 it. sound right? Yes. Okay, and do you have an idea of when Mr. Markell was murdered? It was before 11 a.m. All right, and then was there additional surveillance video from a city bus that captured this Prius after the murder? Yes. All right, and was that bus 707? It was 707. It's northbound. It stopped. On, it's on Thomasville. It's northbound. It stopped at the light at Armstead. Is this the same bus? Yes, it's just another angle. The camera's mounted up on the front part of the bus. Prius is passing in the left-hand lane. Right. And the 707 bus video occurs at approximately... 10.55 a.m.? Yeah, I have 10.55 um, where it's at the um, stoplight. So then the murder, that puts our time of murder between 10.51 and 10.55, is that Correct. right? Correct, yes. Okay. And do you know what time the 911 call came in from Mr. Geiger? 11.02. Okay, so I know you're going to weigh in on more details about this video, but just quick observations. That's my first time seeing that video. Could be wrong, just a hunch from my experience interviewing and working with a lot of detectives. I could tell this detective knows his stuff. I could tell he's like an old school, probably done this a lot, knew his stuff. Again, very small clip, but just my initial impression. I feel like I got a pretty good read on the good ones and the bad ones. And this guy seemed like, seems. what, do you know his name, the detective for this one? I believe that that was the detective who was assigned to the case initially, which would have been Detective Craig Isom. He's the same person who we're going to see in a few minutes uh, interviewing Wendy Adelson when she's brought in that night. Okay, so just on the surface, sounds like he knows stuff. Could be wrong, just an observation. But as far as the video, this is only the second time in my experience, I know it's been done before, where I've seen bus camera footage used in a case. Uh, and the other one was one that we covered, Jennifer Dulos uh, with Fotis where they used the footage to track that vehicle as well uh, to where the truck had been dropped off. So the SUV, I believe it was. So it's one of those things where thinking outside the box, but one of the common themes you're going to see me harp on throughout the series is how good of a job I felt law enforcement did in this case. A lot of it is like you just follow the evidence. But again, it's not like there's a playbook for anything. Like you got you to gotta use your brain. And to think, oh, let's look at the bus routes for that day. Let's look at all this to, you know, let's go to the gym. These are all things that you would commonly do. But I will tell you, and we've seen it here before, not all officers are created equal. And even though it seems obvious to us, they don't do that. They don't go the extra step. They don't go the extra mile. And they don't gather all this evidence so that when you get to court, like we're seeing here, anybody could look at this video and understand what they're seeing. Right? We don't have enough for a murder conviction yet, but I don't think there's a person out there who's watching on YouTube right now uh, who's watching that clip and not saying, yeah, I get it. I don't know where this is leading, but I know somehow that Prius is involved. Right. So that's that's the point here is to break. It I mean, down. it has to be right. You can't say. And they, they when they released the information about the Prius, like, has anybody seen this? They were like very careful to say, listen, this is just a vehicle of interest, blah, blah, blah. But when you look at it laid out that way, it's like this this person or persons followed Dan all throughout that morning. And then you see them driving towards his house before the murder and driving away from his house after the murder. So, you know, put two and two together kind of thing. 
in a relatively small window of time, right? Very like small the car, window, They're seeing yeah. the car on camera around 10.51. The murder occurs right before 11 a.m. And then obviously, I think he said 11.02. Between, they said 10.51, 10.51 to 10.55 is when they believe the murder happened. And 11.02 is when the call came in the 911 call. Right. So it start, it's, they're not saying anything, but they're just laying it out for you. And you're able to come to your own conclusions based on that. And it's, it's put in a Which very systematic obvious one. way. Yeah. Yeah. For most people, it's obvious. Right. Yeah. So up to this point, great job. And as I said, when we first started the series, federal authorities get involved as well. And there's other things that are done to kind of connect the dots, to create and to paint the picture. And it's not all simple stuff like this. So just overall, a great job from a case where there was a lot of things done uh, in order to avoid apprehension or detection. They, right? they, they thought, thought they were. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I mean, had there not been those cameras on the buses, et cetera, et cetera, like the gym, you may we may have missed that. We may never have found these people. I also think Geiger's I mean, being a good witness. Yes. Seeing initially a light colored car describing it. Right. That gave detectives something to go off of where they're like, OK, Geiger seems pretty you know, sure about this description of this vehicle. Let's start in the morning. Let's see what we can find. Police don't know when they watch that video, they're going to see the killer's vehicles. They mm-hmm. don't know that. Yeah. They just, they're just looking at it and they have to watch all the footage and they say, okay, here's our victim. What stands out to you in this video? Well, now in hindsight, it stands out that Prius, but they were watching all the cars and all the people in that parking lot going over it with a fine tooth comb, making notes and seeing if there was a pattern with the next video footage from the bus. They had to connect those dots. Somebody was sitting in front of a computer at the police department and and was watching that bus footage and said, okay, here comes my victim's car. There's a couple cars after it. There's a blue car. There's a red car. Oh, there's a light colored car. Oh, it's a Prius. Hey, you know what? I think I saw something similar on the gym footage. Let me go back to that real quick. And then they start to make the connections. That has to be done. It's not there for you. So I'm not making light of it. It's it's hard to do. And you got to be aware of your surroundings and understand when you see certain things that stick out to you and remember those things to start to connect the dots. So again, great, great job by law enforcement on this one to be able to do that. And I think that when you see James Geiger, the neighbor who like I love, I love Jim. He's awesome because when he's on the stand, he looks like an he looks like a very elderly man. I mean, he's in his 70s, but he's sharp. He's paying attention to what's going on around his house and his neighborhood. He's listening to things. He's got his ear out. Um, and, and he walked to that window to look outside, which a lot of people may not have done. Like whatever. I just hear noises. He walked to look outside. And if he hadn't been able to give the description of the vehicle seen at Dan's house at the time of his murder, they may never have put those those pieces uh, of the puzzle I together. Completely agree. That's why I was, it's like that little piece might have been what had them. St- they were starting to look for a light colored vehicle in those in that other video footage because they probably put it together that more than likely this car had been following him for some period of time. They didn't know how long. It wasn't until they went and looked back at the footage that they were able to figure that out. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. We all feel down sometimes. Even happy people have hard days or hard periods of their life. And when that happens, you know, you realize you might need someone to talk to. But if you've never 
gone through this before or you've never actually sought the help of a mental health professional, you might not even know how to get started. But Talkspace makes it easy to find a therapist that you like. It's convenient to meet with your therapist online, at home, or wherever you're the most comfortable. And honestly, using something like Talkspace and finding an outlet for what you're going through and to talk about it, it can really make a huge difference in your life. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your own home. There's no need to commute to appointments. You don't have to miss time at work or figure out childcare in order to attend sessions. It's really mental health care made easy. And Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you can be in communication and you don't always have to wait for your next session. Talkspace can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It is the number one online therapy platform, and they have licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. And Talkspace is secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, and they comply with the latest HIPAA regulations. So uh, on top of that, I think one of the most important things, one when you're looking for mental health therapy um, of any kind, you worry about how do I get started? How do I set this up? Uh, How do I find somebody that's going to be compatible with me? But you also worry about the cost because not every provider will accept your insurance and then you're going to have to pay out of pocket. But Talkspace is affordable and it is in network with most major insurers. So that's a huge deal and it makes the whole process much easier and less stressful because it shouldn't be stressful. You're actually going to see somebody because you're struggling with things like stress and depression and anxiety. We don't want to add to it. So Talkspace is awesome. Um, You can check it out if you're interested. We definitely think it's the best place to go. If you need someone to talk to, it's super easy, super convenient. And Derek's going to tell you how you can get started. That's right. Couldn't agree more. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Crime Weekly. To match with a licensed therapist today, just go to Talkspace.com slash Crime Weekly to get $80 off your first month and show support for this show. Once again, that's Talkspace.com slash Crime Weekly. So in these videos, if you're watching on YouTube, you were able to see them as the police officer was describing their movements in these videos. Strongly recommend checking them out, too. Yes. If you Um, can. You you can't see the driver or a passenger or license plates on the car, but there were some clues that would eventually help law enforcement identify the vehicle and its two occupants. Firstly, the driver's side bumper was missing a tow belt cover. The passenger side mirror was black, while the other mirror was the same color as the body of the car. And a toll transponder could be seen in the center of the front windshield. Additionally, another eyewitness saw a Prius that morning. Heath Leland, who worked at the preschool where Dan dropped his sons off that morning, he noticed a light-colored Prius in the parking lot outside the daycare center. Additionally, a resident of the Ashford Club Apartments, which is located at 2055 Thomasville Road, they reported seeing two men park a bluish silver Prius in the southwest corner of the complex parking lot. This reportedly was seen during the week before Dan's murder. 
The residents saw the two men get out of the car, and the two men began walking down a park path behind the apartment complex. Reportedly, this path runs parallel to a large storm drainage ditch, and that same drainage ditch happened to be directly behind Dan Markell's home, with the apartment complex being within walking distance of Trescott Drive. The witness described the driver of the Prius as being tall and slender, lighter complexion, wearing a baseball cap. The passenger was a shorter, stocky man with dark hair and a darker complexion. And the two men returned to the Prius about 10 minutes later, at which time the resident observed that the shorter man was carrying a black object in his hand, and he was also completely wet, as if he'd fallen into the drainage ditch. The taller man was also wet, but it appeared that he was just wet on his pants up to the knee area. The surveillance videos and eyewitness sightings would provide police with enough information to start searching for this Toyota Prius. They identified that the color of the vehicle was called Silver Pine Mica. It had darkly tinted windows, and police believed that the Prius could have been made between 2006 and 2009. However, it would be that toll transponder on the windshield that would eventually give detectives a clue on where they could find this car. And we're going to talk about that. But first, let's return to the hours after Denmark Cal was shot because police were already taking quick action to get to the bottom of it. On June 18th, just hours after Dan Markell was shot twice at close range, his ex-wife Wendy Adelson sat down with the Tallahassee police for the first time in an interview that lasted roughly five hours. Wendy had been experiencing a busy day. She had allegedly been waiting at her home that morning for a Geek Squad tech to come and fix her broken television set. She had been doing some work on her computer, writing some papers that she'd been trying to complete. She'd also left her house in order to run to the liquor store before meeting up with friends for an impromptu lunch date, which is where she was when the police picked her up and brought her into the station. At the time, when she was brought into the police station, Wendy wasn't told what she was there for. But before Detective Craig Isom enters the room, Wendy gets a voicemail from a friend that causes her some concern. I just listened to my voicemail. What'd you hear? Um, I Who was just, your voicemail? Um, it's from Lisa Carey, who is um, my real estate agent, or who I had gone with to find um, a house. She just said she was going driving around town. She heard there was a shooting on Trescott. Yeah, that's what this is about. I'm sorry you had to hear it that way. I'm sorry. I didn't know if I should. I, it's all right. Just leave it there. Is it still on? It's right there. And you want to just hit play again for me? Sure. It's Lisa Carey. It is Friday, and I, I sound like an idiot doing this, but I just heard that there was a shooting over on Trescott, and I promise I'm not trying to be dramatic or even nosy. I just, I don't know, just just checking on you, my friend. Um, I hope all is well. I hope your sweet boys are well. And if there's uh, anything you need, let me know. It just it just ran a chill down my spine when I heard that there was um, something going on on Trescott. All right. She went to 3083. Hope all is well. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Uh, there was a shooting at... Uh, your home or your your ex-husband's home at 2116 Trescott, okay? Um, your husband, your ex-husband, excuse me, Daniel, all right, has been taken to the hospital. Um, he's not gonna survive. Oh my God. Okay? Oh <laughs> 
before we get into everything, I have to establish where you were and who you were with and so forth. Okay, and then once we've established all that, I can give you more details. Okay. Do you understand why I wanted you to come here before I discuss this? Oh my God. Okay. No, you have nothing to be sorry about. I just don't understand. I don't understand. Let me let me get over this hump, okay? Let me do that first. All right. Can you tell me what time you left your house this morning? Yeah, it was there. Um, I didn't leave this morning. I didn't leave until noon. Okay. And oh my God! And I tried to drive up Truscott, and I saw that it was blocked. Uh, it was blocked at some point. I'm not sure what time it was blocked. And I just thought, oh, there's maybe some trees down or something. Somebody's oh, you're saying as you drove down which one of the side roads? When I, I'm going to a friend's party tonight, and it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, um, oh my God, what am I even talking about? I needed to buy, it's a stock the, stock the shelf engagement party, and so I went to buy bourbon. Okay. So I went to drive from my place. <laughs> Up Trescott to get to ABC Liquor, and it was blocked. So I just turned around. I was on the phone at the time. I wasn't paying a lot of attention, um, and I, so I just turned around and drove up the other way. I just thought, oh, sometimes there's when I lived there, there were electrical things okay. that would happen. So before I say anything, I want to say that Wendy Adelson has not been arrested or charged with anything. But there are a lot of people, including members of law enforcement, that believe she was involved in in what happened to Dan in some way. And I'm sure that we will see eventually that they continue this investigation. They they try to find something that they can sort of connect her with. I think in, in just in my research, I have found things that, yes, are circumstantial, but still very much look bad for Wendy. And her interview with police is one of those things, in my opinion, I don't believe her. I don't believe. Oh, interesting. I don't believe that she's truly and genuinely crying. She pulls out of it very quickly uh, when he's like, it's OK, you're doing great. She immediately like flashes him a smile and she's like, oh, thank you. And she's just very um, I, I don't I don't believe her 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 tears she got <laughs> i don't even know if there were tears initially and which is why for the first few minutes that she's crying you see that she has her hands over her face and i think only when she was able to actually get you know tears going did she finally remove her hands and look up at uh detective Isom. so that's just my opinion i and that doesn't mean, and that still doesn't even mean that she was connected or involved she could just hate this person right they had a horrible divorce he said horrible things about her she said horrible things about him a true uh resentment and hatred built between these two people over the course of this lengthy and contentious divorce so it could just be like well, I'm not really sad, but I have to act sad or they're going to suspect me kind of thing, right? I know that we have some people who only listen to the audio version, but in this clip, you can clearly hear or see, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can clearly see that Wendy does seem to be very upset when she receives when she receives the news that Dan's been shot. And she does spend a good amount of time. I had to cut this clip because there's a lot of crying. She spends a good amount of time crying and trying to grapple with this new and seemingly unexpected news. But in this clip, you also heard Wendy say a few important things. 
She claims that she had to stop at a liquor store. She had to stop at this liquor store to pick up some bourbon for a party that she was attending later that night. And she wanted to go to ABC Liquor. So she attempted to turn down Trescott, which is the road or the street that Dan lived on, that she used to live on. She attempted to turn down Trescott in order to get to the store, but she noticed it was blocked. And so she had to turn around. Now, this offhand comment that she says in this interview is going to turn into a problem for Wendy for a few reasons. Officer Bill Brannon with the Tallahassee Police Department had been at the scene of Dan Markell's murder that morning. And once a perimeter had been set up around the crime scene, he was basically assigned to guard the north end of that perimeter. As part of maintaining the crime scene perimeter, is crime scene tape put up across the road? Yes. And did you participate in doing that? I believe so, yes ma'am. And I think you said it was a, a couple houses down in each direction is where the tape was placed? Yes. And where were you phys physically positioned? Uh, my patrol car was blocking the roadway. All right. Were you closest on the side of the scene closest to Centerville Road? or closest to the other side of Trescott? Uh, closer to Centerville. All right, so can you explain for the jury where the roadblock was that you were positioned out of the crime scene? So that blue dot right there is the victim's residence. I would have been somewhere right in that area. And can you show us in relation to that where Centerville intersects with Trescott? Over here. All right, so if you were to turn onto Trescott from Centerville, can you just kind of show us with your light the route of travel from Centerville to the roadblock? Comes around here, up, and back around. Okay. Would you have been able to see the roadblock from the intersection of Centerville and Trescott? No. If you had just started to turn onto Trescott and then rerouted back onto Centerville, would you have been able to see the roadblock that way? No, you'd have to go a considerable amount around. Okay. And from the roadblock where you were positioned, could you see the crime scene? Yes. Can you describe what sort of activity was happening at the Markell residence when you were at the perimeter? Basically the investigators and the crime scene techs taking care of their portion. And the crime scene tech vehicles are marked police and have lights on them and stuff. All right, so would it have been obvious to someone approaching your position in a vehicle that there was activity, law enforcement activity going on at that residence? It seems, it seems likely. Do you recognize this vehicle? It appears to be a vehicle that I saw approaching the scene that day. All right, and this vehicle, are you familiar particularly with the make and model of this particular vehicle? Uh, yes, my wife drove a two well we still have it my daughter drives it now 2006 on odyssey so at the time you had in your family the same type of vehicle yes and did you know at the time that wendy adelson drove this type of vehicle yes all right so you noticed this vehicle or a vehicle identical to this one approach your position yes ma'am what did the vehicle do when it approached your position uh just stopped pretty quick and turned around and headed back in the other direction did the driver stop and inquire of you what the activity was at the Markell residence? No. Do you know what time of day that was that you observed this vehicle approach the, the roadblock? Uh, sometime a little afternoon, probably okay. around closer to one. And just to clarify, were there any other roadblocks between where you were positioned and encountered this vehicle and 
the Centerville intersection? No. So here's the issue. First of all, from Wendy's home on Aqua Ridge Way, there were multiple liquor stores that she could have stopped at. There were also multiple liquor stores near the restaurant on Market Street where she was meeting friends for lunch, yet she drove south many miles out of her way to go to the liquor store near her ex-husband's home on the same morning that he happened to be shot twice, execution style, in his garage. Wendy also told Detective Isom that she had assumed a tree was down or there was some electrical issue, and that's why she couldn't get down Trescott. But Officer Bill Brandon testified that the secured scene, which was clearly centered around Dan Markell's house, would not and could not have been mistaken for a simple electrical problem or a fallen tree. There were several marked law enforcement vehicles, an ambulance, police lights were on, and crime scene tape was up. Seeing this kind of activity around a home that Wendy had previously lived in, not only that, a home that she knew her ex-husband still lived in, and considering that she also knew her two young children were in Dan Markell's care that weekend, right, that that her kids were living or residing in that house that same weekend, it didn't make much sense to anyone that she wouldn't have stopped and asked one of the police officers at the scene what was going on. It also doesn't make sense why Wendy would not have attempted to call Dan's cell phone to see if he was okay or call the preschool that her sons were enrolled in to make sure that they were okay, that they'd arrived to school that morning and there was no issues. Later, Wendy Adelson would testify that she had not driven by the crime scene at all. When you drove to ABC Liquor, you tried to go through Trescott. Is that fair to say? It was blocked. There are other ways to go to ABC Liquor, right? You could have gone down other roads. I don't have the best sense of direction, so when I find a route, I just kind of keep using that route. We retraced Wendy's route that day. She would have been coming from Centerville Road, a more commercial street, and she left Centerville to pass through Benton Hills on Trescott Drive, a much more residential road with several caution signs. Then it takes us another two and a half minutes after leaving Centerville Road to get close to Markell's home on Trescott. Wendy testified to something different. She said she barely made it onto Trescott before she saw police. I went to turn on Trescott Drive, but I saw that it had been blocked off by some tape and so I just kept driving on Centerville. There was tape. Yeah and an officer was there. I didn't see an officer but I did see a car. A law enforcement marked vehicle. This is around where that police roadblock would have been, according to the officer on the scene's testimony. Wendy claimed she couldn't see what was happening at Markell's house from her car. It's the one you see there with the brick mailbox. Uh, it's about two houses from that speed hump sign. And the road winds out to where it's more visible to see that mailbox. But you can't make out exactly because of the trees, the actual house building. If the roadblock was set up where Officer Bill Brandon recalled between three and six houses away from the scene, it appears emergency vehicles parked along this narrow road would have been visible and obvious to drivers, but the car where Markel was ambushed, it would have been out of sight. I just assumed it was weather or maybe a tree fell. Did you attempt to call Dan Markel when you encountered the roadblock? No, I didn't think anything of it. So basically, Wendy made it seem like the entirety of Trescott Drive had been blocked off, and she never made it past the intersection of Centerville and Trescott before she had to turn around and find a different route to ABC Liquor. However, as the testimony of Officer Brandon shows us, Trescott Drive was not completely blocked off. The perimeter had been set up around Dan Markell's house and had continued to basically two to three houses on either side. And Wendy would have needed to drive about two and a half minutes down Trescott before she was able to see that there was some sort of police presence or some sort of barricade set up, which brings up the question of why she was not completely honest with police 
or during her trial testimony. And we also have to ask ourselves, why was she there on that day of all days? An incredible lack of curiosity and that little drive with the police. I mean, yeah, I know there's there's activity from time to time in Tallahassee, right? I get it. But like that's pretty close to, you know, your ex-husband's house where, you know, your children spend a lot of time. No curiosity whatsoever. Yeah, Vinny, and the liquor store where she could have purchased the uh, gift or the item was right near her house. She had to go way out of her way to get to this particular liquor store right near her ex-husband's house, Danny's house. So that has raised a lot of eyebrows. Why would you go all the way out of your way uh, to buy a bottle of liquor? Now, she's saying that she was having lunch, but still, it really is a big question, along with the question you just brought up. No curiosity. You don't call. I have a lot to say. We, we just covered a big chunk there. But before we do, let's take a break. I love Daily Harvest. I love their smoothies. In fact, I just got my latest shipment a few days ago and I ordered a few new flavors. So I'm really having fun trying those out. The whole family, even the kids love Daily Harvest. And that whole new year, healthy eating, new me feels like I'm always saying no, right? No to flavor, no to snacking, no to the food I love. But this year, I'm going strong with my healthy changes because I'm saying yes to Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest makes it really easy to meet my goals and stick with them. They take the planning prep and cleanup out of cooking by delivering my favorite veggie and fruit-packed meals straight to my door. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of gluten fillers, seed oils, added starches, and sugars. It really takes the guesswork and effort out of eating food that I know is good for me. And usually keeping healthy habits means the same old boring meals, but not with Daily Harvest. They've got so many great options for any time of the day, which means that sticking to healthy habits is a breeze. So the uh, dragon fruit and lime smoothie is actually one that I've just tried. I'm not sure if it's new or if it's just new to me, but it is so good. It has such a great uh, flavor. The lime adds some like citrus. The dragon fruit is, you know, perfectly like you can taste these flavors because they all are fresh and, and packed at the, the height of their ripeness. So they also have risottos. They have an herbed squash and asparagus risotto, which is perfect for these cold winter days. They have all of these great meals, breakfasts, snacks, um, dinners, the smoothies if you want to use that as a meal replacement if you're too busy during the day and you want to get some vitamins and nutrients in. It's really perfect. And by only using recyclable or compostable packaging when possible, Daily Harvest is doing their part to take care of our earth and that helps me limit my waste and feel much better about the whole thing. So we do love Daily Harvest. I know Derek also is a big fan and he's going to tell you how you can check it out for yourself and get a great deal right now. Say yes to healthy habits without the hassle with Daily Harvest. Just go to dailyharvest.com slash crimeweekly to get up to $65 off your first box, plus free shipping for a limited time only. That's dailyharvest.com slash crimeweekly for up to $65 off your first box, plus free shipping. One more time, that's dailyharvest.com slash crimeweekly. So a lot to unpack here, and I was kind of letting you set the set the stage because we talked about the interview, and then you obviously have this whole situation with the the the, the road being blocked off, really close to Dan's house. Mm-hmm. So first off, the interview. I, I said, oh, interesting when you said you didn't think she was telling the truth. I, I, I'm not even playing devil's advocate. Or not advocate. being genuine, just, I guess. Not being as genuine about her emotion as she wants Detective Isom to believe. Not not telling the truth, but that. Hey, listen, you're entitled to the, your opinion. 
I mean, that's that's your observation. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but just to give a different perspective on it, because I'm sure some people will will not agree with you, right? As they watch it. Yeah, Wendy. You know, for me, it wasn't something overt, but it usually isn't if you're trying to avoid apprehension. I felt like she seemed genuinely surprised by it. And I liked what Detective Isom did there, where as soon as she started reacting to it, he is giving her a moment out of respect. But make no mistake about it, he's also giving her a moment because he's sitting there uh, marking down and identifying every single involuntary and voluntary movement that she makes at that moment. And he's f- closely recording in his head what she's doing, how she's doing it, and what she's saying. And one thing that really saved her there where I felt like she wasn't going to ask is she said, what happened? You know, because some people do make this mistake if you see other interrogation videos or other interviews where the person is involved, they never once ask what happened. They just, oh my God, I can't believe it. And that's because in their head, they already know what happened. So they forget to ask. So that in no way suggests that she's not involved. It just may have been she was well-prepared, but just to give that different observation. Because we've seen people in the, interrogations that are involved also ask what happened. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like People can ask, but it's one of those situations where I think you can make a reasonable argument either way that she's being genuine, genuine or non-genuine. It's just a matter of observation. I don't think there's anything that overtly stands out there that would suggest she was involved. But I, I can absolutely see your perspective and how people would look at that and say it seemed a little contrived. Now, as far as the roadblock and all of these other things, again, in no way, shape or form suggesting that I feel one way or the other, because without getting too in depth here, because we're going to talk about it at the end, I think the problem for most people with this case, when they hear all the facts, is the idea that this family, the Adelsons, they're so close, um, most of them, with the exception of Robert, who is kind of like gone and done, yeah. has done his own thing. But Charles and, and Wendy and Donna and Hart, they're all close. They, you know, some of them work together. You know, they are all very tight knit. And as they're having conversations through email and text, Donna and Wendy were discussing a lot of what was going on with Dan. And there was a lot of uh, personal conversations happening that weren't intended for everyone else's consumption. The point I'm trying to make is that Wendy knew who her brother was, knew who Donna was. And it's hard to think that she's familiar with all of this, but she would have no clue that this was going on. That being said, Mm -hmm. if Wendy was involved major steps were taken to avoid her being connected to it, right? Because let's for the hypothetical situation, say Donna, Charles, and Wendy were all involved with this. They're going to obviously come to the conclusion that, hey, Wendy, you can't be anywhere near this because you're going to be prime suspect number one, right? You're going through a tumultuous divorce. They're going to be looking at you day one, which they did. That's why he brought her into to talk to her. So the commonsensical approach would be, hey, listen, me and and mom will handle this. You stay out of it. We don't want you anywhere near this situation because you're going to be you're going to be already on in their sights, right? In their crosshairs. So if that were the case, if that's the scenario that we're looking at, why the hell, if you know what's happening, would you drive by that location? And I know what you're going to say. Well, she wanted to see if it actually happened. Well, that would completely defeat the whole point of keeping you out of this if that was the original plan, was to keep you as distanced away from this as possible so that you couldn't be connected to it any way, shape, or form. 
maybe they felt it was obvious and they shouldn't have to tell her to stay away. And so they didn't. And then but it wasn't obvious to her because yeah. why would she go to that liquor store by Dan's house when there was a you know dozen other liquor stores she could have gone to? Why was she in that area when it was nowhere near where she lived or where she was going for lunch? Right. And that's the problem. That's the other side of the coin. Right. So I'm giving you the argument as to why it's almost if she is involved, why the hell would she drive by there? But then the other argument is everything that we just laid out in these videos and that you've discussed, which I'm not going to repeat. I'm not going to be repetitive here, which I sometimes do. That is the other side of it. There's things that don't add up. So, again, depending on where you lay on this one, where you where you land, um, you could make an argument for both sides as far as like, hey, I look at the same situation. And to me, it suggests involvement where someone else may look at it and go, hey, you know what? I see exactly what you're seeing. But based on my interpretation, I believe it means that she wasn't involved. And that's what's so fascinating about this case. Listen, they these the Adelsons, right? Inarguably, just with with every objective lens, these are intelligent people. They're educated, they're smart, they're successful. However, are they criminal masterminds? I would say that the fact that Donna Sue and Charlie have both been arrested for this would show that they're not. They thought they were. At least Charlie thought he definitely was, but they're not. So the whole reason they're getting caught up is because of all the mistakes that they made. And if they had done this in, you know, several different ways, nothing would have led back to them. But there's money trails and there's cell phone trails and the, you get the car and, and the surveillance videos and Wendy's driving by. So, like, I think that they think, oh, no one's going to know it was us. So they're behaving sometimes in ways that to the average person looks suspicious, like what Wendy's doing. But she's not going to think it's suspicious because she's going to think everyone's going to look at me and say, how could she have anything to do with this? I'm so charming. I'm so beautiful. I have such a megawatt smile that everybody always talks about. I mean, in this interview and you guys should watch it, but it's like five hours. She starts talking about how the clerk at the liquor store told her she had pretty eyes. And I mean, she's talking about all this extraneous stuff after she finds out her her ex-husband has been shot. And what really stuck out stuck out to me is at the beginning, somewhere in this interview early on before um, she knows anything, she says to the detective, Craig Isom, I couldn't tell from the way you were talking to me in the car if I was a suspect. I couldn't tell from the way you were talking to me in the car if I was a suspect. She was not informed that Dan had been shot until she was at the police station. So why would she think in the car on the way to the police station that she would be a suspect of anything if she didn't know something had happened? Maybe she didn't know exactly what happened. She didn't know if he'd been shot or beat up or, you know, had his death to be set up to make look like a suicide or something. But she clearly in the car before she found out Dan had been shot felt like she might be a suspect of something. Or why would she feel like, oh, am I a suspect or not? I didn't know from the way you were talking in the car. So I think sometimes people who are not criminal masterminds go into these interrogation rooms and they're like, well, I'm just going to be honest. Right. But they're almost a little too honest sometimes. And they say things that can then you know be doubled back to and point to and, and, and asked, why did you say that if you had no idea anything happened? Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think, and again, we can, it can go around, around, around on this thing. It's, it's one of those situations where as of right now, if we're to believe that there are good investigators on this case, which I believe there are, um, there is clearly at this point, no evidence beyond something that might be 
like this roadblock or spontaneous utterances mm -hmm. that have been connected to Wendy because they right. would have absolutely charged her at this point. And I think that's important because if we're to it's say- It's all circumstantial, one, very circumstantial. It, very circumstantial and, and can be explained away. We may not believe the explanation, but it can be explained. Again, we don't have to say, oh, you know, that's a- that's a reasonable excuse, right? Mm -hmm. Like as you're saying about the, the liquor and stuff. But it's but, possible. Yeah. But it's absolutely possible. It's absolutely possible. And I and listen, I will say to be transparent, I'm hoping that's the case. I'm hoping she's not involved. I think we all are because there's two little boys involved here and they've already lost their father. They, the relatives are gone. And I'm hoping Wendy's not involved because she's going to have to raise those two boys. Um, and so... Worst case scenario would be that Wendy is involved, and if she is, she should be held accountable, and she's going to go away, and these boys are going to grow up with, with someone else. I don't know who that would be at this point, but— Most likely Dan's family, right? Because yeah. almost everyone from Wendy's family is yeah, behind bars yeah, now. Yeah, Ruth, Ruth and Phil would be her his parents. Yes. So, yeah. And the weird thing is that I found out, like, Dan's family was not very engaged in Dan's children's lives. He didn't see that. They didn't see those kids often. I mean, they did live in Toronto, but they weren't a constant presence like the Edelson family was for those two little boys. And I almost wonder if there was some reason for that. Like maybe they didn't feel welcome in, in Dan and Wendy's home because of Wendy awesome. and her family. Because like Donna Sue and Harvey, they be there at Wendy's house all the damn time, you know. So maybe yeah. the Markells, especially after what happened at the wedding with the, the non-kosher food and everything, maybe they were like these Adelsons, man, they don't like us. We don't like them. We're going to keep our distance. Yeah. So let us know in the comments. I'm very curious to see what did you think about Wendy's reaction when she was told about Dan's death? Did you find it to be genuine? Did you find it to be maybe a little played up? What did you think about Wendy's overall demeanor? What do you think about her being at Trescott Drive shortly yeah. after Dan's murder? I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm interested Not in what you have to say. So Wendy's police interview continues with Detective Isom, and he asks her the standard question, who would want to do this to Dan Markell? And what Wendy ends up saying might raise an eyebrow or two or several thousand, because <laughs> it raised my eyebrow. Do you know anybody that would have a beef against your ex-husband? He's, um, oh, my God. I hate to ask it now, but I have to do it now. You understand, right? I understand. Right? I understand. Um, he, I mean, he had friends. He was, um, he always meant well, but he would sometimes rub people the wrong way. Okay. Um, but not, not anyone who would do something like this. Any, anybody that he owes money to? No. He owes money to me. He owes money to you? But not. Okay. Not me. Okay. All right. All right. Oh my God, we're oh. I know a lot of people didn't really love him, but I don't know anyone who would do something like this. Well, we're still trying to determine, you know, what happened and how it happened. But he wouldn't do this to himself. Okay. He was a very positive person. Okay. He. No, no one that you know of or that he's spoken to recently that that he's had some type of problem with or that he was concerned about? No, no one that he was concerned about. I mean, we've been separated for two years, so I don't know, like, right. 
you know, if he had something going on, I wouldn't know about it. But I know a lot of people didn't love him, but not anyone who would like hate him. He he met well everyone that knew him. Knows that he means well, but he's just he's can be a little like argumentative. Right. But not um <laughs> didn't owe anyone money. He didn't do anything except work and take care of his kids. He didn't do he wasn't involved in anything bad. <laughs> I can't and believe this is happening. I know. I don't know who would do this. Okay, well, well it appears from from what we've seen so far that someone intentionally hurt Danny. Okay, intentionally. Okay, I don't you think know who it is. No. And I don't what think do you think of the boys. I don't think that's gonna be I don't I, I have no indication at this time that that's a threat. Okay. You have friends. I do. What I meant by it is that Danny didn't treat me very well. And okay. I'm so scared that maybe someone did this. Not because they hate Danny, but because they thought this was good somehow. Oh, are you saying that you think maybe one of your friends would have done something Who like would this? Do this? I don't know. That's why I'm. That's why you're here, and that's why we're talking. Would you ever ask someone to do something like this? Not in a million years. Okay. Do you think someone would do this for your benefit without asking you? No. What good does it serve? I made. My brother, um, the one his name's Charlie, the one I'm really close to, he makes a lot of jokes in bad taste, and it was a joke he made. He bought the TV for me this morning that got broken, and I was talking to him about whether it made sense to pay to fix it or whether I should get a new one, and it was always his joke that, like, he knew Danny treated me badly, and it was always his joke. He said, I, I, you know, I looked into hiring a hitman, and it was cheaper to get you this TV, so instead I got you this TV. Um, I mean, he would never. He's my big brother, and he's been taking care of me since I was little, but he would never. And I, I said, I told that to the repair guy this morning. Right. Okay. I said he asked me how much it cost, and I said I didn't know because it was a gift. Because my brother said it was cheaper than a hitman. It was my divorce present. Okay. Such a horrible thing to say. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> but even my family, who felt like I had been mistreated, would never do something like this. Never. Okay, so Wendy says something about a broken TV and a TV repairman, and trust me, we're going to come back to this because the TV <laughs> ends up being very important. But uh, but she also comes out with um, the speculation. What if someone did this because they thought it would be good for me? You know, she says, Danny didn't treat me very well. And my worry is, you know, what if somebody did this because they thought it would be a good thing? So she kind of introduces that angle. That idea. <laughs> yeah. I think that's important. It is very important. And she says something about Charlie specifically. He's my big brother. He's been looking after me since I was young, but he would never do this. Right. But but here's my thing. And I know we just talked about it a couple minutes ago. But to me, I think that would suggest a higher level of not being involved because Maybe. it's it's one thing to drive by if they didn't tell you not to drive by if you were involved, like you had said in the previous segment like we were just talking about. But to introduce the idea 
that maybe someone would kill Dan or Danny, as she refers to him as, for her benefit. To the police, either she's an absolute moron, which I don't think either of us think that. She's definitely well-educated. She's an intelligent woman. Or she's having these thoughts, which a lot of people do. Like she's learning about this in the moment. She may be genuinely in shock and she's thinking out loud and she's thinking out loud in front of the detective. And she says, like, she's probably thinking in her head, like, oh, my God, could someone have done this? And I I would even go as far as saying knowing her brother, she might actually be saying internally, oh, he absolutely would do something like this for me. But then she regret she she pulls back when she realizes that she's bouncing these ideas off of the detective in charge of the case. And she's going, no, no, he would never do that. But why? If you knew your brother was involved, would you throw out some trivial detail, which she obviously said to the repairman, but why would you throw out some trivial detail? Like he has said to me before, it was cheaper to buy you a new TV than hire a hitman. Like, I don't think she would have said that if she knew right then in that moment that Charles was involved. All right. So let me ask you a question because you were okay. a cop. So you think like a cop. I, I was at some point. Yeah. And we know that Wendy's a good actress. Her mother said, I know you can act. I've seen you do it. Pull I it don't out know in if she's court. a good actress. Pull it out in court. Well, you don't think she's acting technically. So how would you know? I don't. So so we know that she's a good actress and we know you think like a cop. How do you know she's a good actress? Because her mother said it multiple times in the emails. I, I tell my daughters and I hope they never hear this. That they're but your good daughters singers. are children. But they're not. But your daughters are. They're not good singers, but they are children. Your daughters are children. That's what you do for children. You don't do that to a grown woman in her 30s when you're trying to tell her she better pull out her best acting job in court to make sure that Dan, you know, doesn't get to keep those kids in Tallahassee. You know she can do it. You know she's capable of it. And everyone who knows Wendy says the same exact thing, that she can turn on the charm and she can, you know, put on a mask and wear it for as long as she needs to. So maybe she said that because she figured... And assumed that the cop would think in the exact same way that you, a previous cop, are thinking. Why would she say that to me if she was involved at all? Why would she? Well, maybe she's trying to save her own ass and she's not coming directly out and being like, oh, they did this. But she's also doing things that make her look more innocent and distancing herself from the situation at hand. So it could be that she's just she is smart. She's a law professor. Right. She knows the law. She's a lawyer. So. She's smart. She's intelligent. She knows the law. She's not an idiot. She's not just going to say anything in that in that interview room with that cop that she doesn't want to say. She's not thinking out loud. She would never. She's a lawyer. She knows better than to do that, especially with an attorney not present. I think I think hearing that your ex-husband has been assassinated may change your mind because I don't know if anybody knows how they're going to react in that moment when it happens. And I'll also say that it's one thing to say she wasn't speaking out loud, but it's another thing to say that she just was make she was pulling some reverse psychology. I will say this, and then we can, you know, we can keep moving on with it, but there's a big difference between having an idea who might be involved because of conversations that have had gone on behind closed doors. Like there could have been a moment right when she heard this that she said, I know my family's involved with this. I know it, right? Because of conversations they'd have off the cuff behind closed doors, right, where they've talked about this maybe just in in passing, but never definitively came up with a plan. But when she hears this, she knows, oh, my God, they went through with it. There's a big difference between that and her being directly involved, which is what I think we all care about, right, because ultimately we're trying to determine whether or not or I guess investigators are not even us, but we're trying they're trying to determine 
if this woman had some criminal responsibility where she was involved directly or indirectly with the the blessing of this assassination and maybe financially contributed to it or what if she played a role at all. Because I will say without and I'm not going too far down the path here, but we know that Harvey, when Wendy's father, the, the, the dentist, was was also very close with Donna and Charles. They were all very close. And as far as we know, at this point, Harvey wasn't involved. And there were conversations where they would say, like, hey, don't say anything in front of the big guy. You know, like, don't say they tried. They didn't want to involve him. So although they're tight knit, there have been things where they've done certain things behind others without other backs without saying anything. So is it impossible that Wendy wasn't involved with this when it all went down? No, it's not. It's not impossible. They could have decided collectively we're going to do this for her. But I do think it would be a stretch based on how close she is with her brother and her mother Mm -hmm. in this moment when she hears that her ex-husband's been killed based on what some of the conversations she's had with her brother that we know about for it not to run through her mind like, oh my God, I hope he didn't do this. I hope he didn't do this. But if she genuinely thought there was a chance that anyone in her family could have done that, would she have said it out loud? Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. But that's why the fact that she did I feel like I know you're giving her credit. She's a lawyer, all these things like in that moment, realizing he's dead or going to be and he's not going to make it again. I guess she could be a genius where she's playing. Oh, I'm going to actually give them. We know she's a genius. Basically, we went over Uh, her credentials. She's not a dummy. I I think it's it's a big risk to go into a room with a detective and say, you know what? I'm so smart. Is it a risk? Because she's not under arrest. (laughs) But she doesn't know she's going to be at that point. She doesn't know what they know. But she's going to say she's going to say to herself, my my strategy here is I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give them the answers to the puzzle, the, the keys to the castle. I'm going to tell them exactly what happened in order to remove myself. I just think, I guess it's pot. I always say it's possible, but what a risk. Can what a risk to go in there and roll the dice with that one. Okay. We have more to talk about in regards to what Wendy said during this interview, but we're going to take our last break and we'll be right back. Most of you have probably already heard us sing the praises of pros and their truly custom made-to-order hair care. Switching to a custom routine from pros was one of the best things I've done for my hair, and the results I'm seeing just keep getting better and better. And it's funny because somebody I know a couple weeks ago asked me, oh, what do you think about, you know, these customized hair brands? Like, I've been looking at pros, and I was able to actually tell this person exactly what I thought about pros because I've been using it for a while. And so I was able to give them real and actionable advice on it instead of just saying like, oh, I don't really know or it's probably good. This is really good because this hair care is made exactly for what your hair care needs are. Uh, For me, for one, I always struggled with having unmanageable hair because I have curly hair and I straighten it and sometimes it just doesn't do what I want it to do. But because of pros, I've found that my hair is just so much more manageable. It's softer. It's smoother. It's more flexible. Um, It's more of it working around me than me working around it. And I love these unique personalized formulas that revitalize your hair in exactly the way it needs. Pros knows that there's more to you than just your hair type. And that's why they've given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz. That's exactly how I got started. It's how you're going to get started too. Uh, Some questions may surprise you. They're going to ask you like your zip code. They're going to ask you your diet, um, you know, things like that, that you wonder, why do you need to know this for my hair? But there are specific reasons. The environment you live in does affect your hair texture, how it 
ends up looking, what it's doing, things like that. And by analyzing over 85 personal factors, Pros is going to handpick clean, sustainably sourced ingredients that get you closer to your hair goals with every single wash. I also love Pros's review and refine tool. So this is going to let me tweak my formula for any reason. If I move out of the state, if I change my diet, if I you know bleach my hair, things like that, I can let Pros know that way they can change my formula to match my new hair type. And as a carbon neutral certified B Corp, Pros is an industry leader in clean and responsible beauty. All of their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered and cruelty free. They're also the first custom beauty brand to go carbon neutral. And if you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they will take the products back, no question asked, which is great because this means there's no risk to you. You can actually try these formulas. You can see for yourself the difference that they're making in your hair, and then you can decide whether or not you want to continue on with Pros. And if you don't think that there's anything happening to your hair, then you can send the products back and you'll get a refund. So we love Pros here at Crime Weekly, and Derek's going to tell you how you can check them out for yourself and get started. Custom made-to-order hair care from Pros has your name all over it. Take your free, in-depth hair consultation and get 50% off your first subscription order today, plus 15% off and free shipping every subscription order after that. Just go to pros.com slash crimeweekly. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash crimeweekly for your free in-depth hair consultation and 50% off your first subscription order today. Check them out, guys. Pros.com. Starting a health and wellness journey is never easy, and it is so personal. Um, I know that for years I've been trying to find the exact routine that works for me, my schedule, my body, and it just hasn't been easy. Whether you're going all in or easing into it, Allo Moves has the classes and flows that are made to move with you. Allo Moves is the on-demand streaming wellness platform from Allo Yoga. From yoga and fitness to meditation and self-care, it is my go-to now for every step of my health and wellness journey. And I'm all about those small daily rituals that make a big difference and become a habit so that they just happen naturally for you every single day. And Allo Moves gets that. Whether I'm in need of some alignment with guided meditation or I'm ready to kick butt in a cardio or hit class, Allo Moves has what I need when I need it. And can we talk about game changers? They've got gua sha, dry brushing, face yoga. It's like they've got all this wellness magic going on. They have sound baths, things like that. The dry brushing has been uh, a game changer for me. I talk about it all the time. I love dry brushing. It's great for your skin. It's great for your circulation. But you do have to do it in a certain way, in a certain direction. You have to start from certain places of your body. And it gets confusing with all the other stuff that we have in our heads. Ella Moves makes it so easy. The face yoga, the same thing. You can really take a lot of swelling and uh, fluid retention out of your face with face yoga. So it's just going to make you feel better, body, mind and spirit. And with over 100 new classes every month, Allo Moves keeps me hooked and motivated. It's like a constant stream of fresh vibes for my wellness journey. I really like that Allo Moves has flexibility. I don't have to be at a scheduled class. I can just pick up any of these classes on demand when I want to take them, when I have the time to do them, whether that's at 2 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning or midnight. Allo Moves has me covered. So Derek's going to let you know how you can check Allo Moves out for yourself. And he has a great deal for you. No matter your path, it's time to make a move with Allo Moves. Get a free 30-day Allo Moves subscription by going to allomoves.com and use code CRIMEWEEKLYVIP. That's allomoves.com, code CRIMEWEEKLYVIP in all caps. One more time, allomoves.com, code CRIMEWEEKLYVIP, all caps. 
All right. So Wendy tells Detective Craig Eason that when she and Dan got divorced, her brother Charlie gave her a TV as a divorce present. And then he made a joke telling Wendy that he'd looked into it. And it turns out that it was cheaper to buy her a TV than hire a hitman. Wendy also tells Detective Isom that she repeated this joke to the Best Buy repairman who came to her house that morning to look at that same TV, which now had a large crack in the screen. And Wendy claimed this crack had been put there when one of her sons threw a large and heavy object at the TV screen. But then she circles back and she makes sure that Detective Isom knows that no one in her family would ever do this, even though they knew how badly Dan treated her and they didn't like it. However, Wendy would make further insinuations about someone she knew, someone who was close to her, being involved somehow in the death of Dan Markell. I can't help but feeling like this is all my fault. Why do you feel that way? <laughs> Why would somebody do this, right? Like, if I had been still married to him, then there wouldn't be anyone that was angry, right? Like, there wouldn't be any kind of disgruntled, wouldn't be Amy's husband. This can't be a random act of violence. This has to be on purpose. Someone did this for a reason. Yes. So she actually says, I can't help but feel feel responsible for this because if I was still married to him, this wouldn't have happened. That is a weird thing to say. And literally seconds after saying this, Wendy is concerned with her plans for that evening and she's making small talk. I want to send some text sort of canceling my plans. Like, I'm actually at 630. I was supposed to be at a party by now. So let me tell. And, uh, God, the person throwing it works at Beavis Funeral Home. Okay. My friend Elizabeth is a mortician. She's the prettiest mortician I've ever met. Now, this person that Wendy is speaking to is, um, are, she's a victim's advocate. Are victim's advocates technically police officers or are they like nope, social they workers? Not. They are not. They are not, which is interesting that they're already in the room with her, but they might be having someone sit in there with her so she's not alone. But make no mistake about it. They didn't turn off the recorder. So her interview started around like 2.40 p.m. and this is almost 7 p.m. So we're pretty far in the interview. It's been hours. And Detective Isom, he asked Wendy, can I have your phone so I can bring it to the Celebrate and extract data from it? And that's where he was at this point when she's sitting in the room with this victim's advocate and just sort of chatting and making small talk and talking about like, oh, I have to cancel my plans. I think it's weird when you find out your husband's been your ex-husband's been shot, the father of your children's been shot, that you're concerned at all. With reaching out to friends and like canceling, you know, like you're you're worried that your absence there is, is going to be dramatic where you have to like rectify that. To me, that's a little strange, but people are different. So while Wendy's chatting about parties and her pretty friends, Detective Isom has her cell phone. He's extracting the data. And when he returned to the interview room, Detective Isom told Wendy, call your parents. And she acts super weird about it. Like it takes her because I've cut this up, this clip that you're about to hear and see if you're watching on YouTube. I've cut this up, but it takes like a good 15 to 20 minutes of her hemming and hawing about calling her parents before she actually does. Call your folks. Okay. You really don't want to make that call. I know, but you... I know, I just like... You can wait if you want to. No, 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 I, I no, feel I'm like just, I was holding you up. So. You were, and I... Um, <laughs> I was, okay. No, I mean, I, I want them here. I don't want to tell them what happened and what's going on because they're very emotional. Well. And uh, we're they're not driving. Well, that's the thing is like they're going to now get in the car for eight hours and come up. And um, I'm 
Are they both very emotional? Is one more emotional? My mom's more emotional. My dad's more of a straight shooter. Again, you know, we're all doing different things, so I may have missed something, but I'll double check. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't have the keys. I'm gonna call my parents. Okay. Y'all spoke with Axum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he said that's okay, right? All right. I haven't told him I think you're gonna be upset. They're very angry with him, right? Like, well, this isn't like. This isn't Wait. like it's their son, but he's the father of my kids. And this They're... is a very part of my language fucked up situation. Don't worry. Um, 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 okay, I'm gonna call my parents. Okay. Um, I have no idea what to say because I don't even know that he's dead. I just know that he's like... been shot. Um, okay, so... I just want to tell them what happened and that I need them here mm -hmm. and, and that they're, they're I'm gonna fine and the kids are fine. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I just like, I think it's a shock reaction. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the... You know, right? Shock reaction? Yeah. Oh, and I'm a, I'm a shaker when I get upset, so. Yeah, you should shake. I really don't. Okay, here it goes. This is, this is the worst day of my life. Mom, I need you to sit down. I am fine. The boys are fine. Um, I need you to sit down. I'm I'm fine, and the boys are, f and the boys are fine. Danny has been. Da you can put me on speaker. Yeah. Um, Danny has been shot. Um. And I don't think he's gonna make it. Um, and so, I, I know, um, so I found this out around one or two today and I'm at the police station and I'm trying to help them figure out who may have done this. I, in his house, I know, um, I know. So I, I just need you to calm down before you get in the car, okay? Okay, so, um, and it's, you know, it's evening, so if you want to come here tomorrow, I have a lot of people that'll, you know, be here with me and, you know, we'll have a lot of support. So I want you to take your time and just be safe. I'm going to handle that pretty well. Could you hear her? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, my parents sounded really surprised, so it's at least a relief. I was trying to think of who would be angry enough to do something to him. My parents would be angry, but they're not capable of this. Thank God. I really couldn't handle that right now. Yeah. No. So once again, I mean, you heard Donna. Donna Sue Adelson on the phone. She sounded she sounded shocked. She sounded completely surprised. Maybe good acting runs in the family because we know she has been arrested and she has been charged and she has been found to be com complicit in what happened to Dan Markell. So she's shocked. And then Wendy's relieved that she's shocked, <laughs> relieved, because it seemed like Wendy genuinely was afraid to make that phone call. Yep. But was she afraid? Was she afraid to make the phone call because she was afraid of what her mother would reveal to her? Or was she afraid to make the phone call because she was in the police station and she knew 
that probably Donna's reaction could be picked up by the very same cameras that were recording her at that moment. And she was worried. That's the million dollar question. Yeah. Because that's you just nailed it. Not saying it again. That's it in a nutshell. She's clearly nervous. The question is, is she nervous for A or is she nervous for B? Now, real quick, too, about this person in the room, because it's bothering me a little bit. I'm going to have to do some research and figure it out. In my experience, and by no means am I like the all, you know, knowing detective, but I've never had a, a victim's advocate in a room with a potential suspect because at that point, she's a person of interest at minimum. That's why she's there. She's helping them, but don't get it twisted. She's a person of interest. That's why she's there. And so I wouldn't, as a detective, have a vic- victim's advocate in the room because she's not technically a victim at that point, but maybe it was a strategy to lower her guard. But this person doesn't seem trained. They don't seem they don't know her. You can tell because they're like, oh, I'm a shaker when I'm when mm-hmm. I'm nervous. So they're clearly not familiar with each other. But then she reaches over and touches her. That might just be her approach. I don't know who this person is, but I will say if this person had asked her a question on camera like that, she is acting as an agent of the state and she can still and it's still admissible in court. And that person is no longer independent. She is working for the police department, even though she's not a sworn officer. And we would never put our victim's advocate in that position. Like we truly, we would only bring them or usually bring them in for domestic violence victims where we know this person has just been through an ordeal. We want to get them away from people in uniform and get them with someone who can handle this specifically, who's trained to do so. Very weird situation here. Different tactic. I don't know who this person is. Maybe they're a detective. I doubt it, though, based on their approach. They, she was, was described as she was described as a victim's advocate. So was she? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's possible because there was another woman who came into the room. You could see that sat down for a second and walked out. I'm assuming she's some type of law enforcement capacity. Yeah, she was trying to get Wendy's keys to her vehicle. Her keys. So yeah. she could be a police officer, detective. So this person may well be a de- just a normal person who I don't know. I don't know who it I is. Mean, I mean, she maybe, basically didn't say much, right? Not it, yeah, she, yeah. But she's in there. She putting her. They're putting her in a bad position. The whole time she didn't say much. Wendy Clearly. was left to talk. Do and, another talking. And Wendy yeah. did talk and talk and talk and talk and chat and chat and chat. So. I thought it was funny when Wendy was like at the end where she was like, oh, that's a relief. That's a relief. The, the right? girl's like, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So, so hey, give me, give me one second here. Please just give me this. I Listen, I know you. We've been working together for three years, okay? Which you were quick to remind me of. I said two years before we started recording. You're like, no, it's been three. I'm like, damn, yeah. it has been three. So I know you pretty well. And we're entitled to our opinions here. And I think it's clear to say at this point – your opinion is that Wendy knows more than she's conveying. You you made no bones about that. Yeah, but, I do believe she, not that she was involved necessarily or actively, she, she, she knew, yeah, what was going would on. Would you at least give me this by saying like, that's a really dumb thing to say. I think like, well, that's a relief because she, I, I think that leans more towards the idea that like she was nervous that when she called Donna, like if we're going to go that scenario where Donna was going to be like. Yeah, he's well, I got dead. To tell you. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. I did it. Or like she, I did it. or she says like Dan's been shot, and you hear instead of hearing what you hear, woo, yeah, <laughs> like cheering in the background. Something you know? like where like it felt like she was like I'm gonna make this call, and I may be incriminating my own mother right here on camera. Like I'm nervous about making this call. I'm not saying that's what you believe, but you can at least acknowledge that her saying. Well, that's a relief because she was like, I know my mother hates this man. Yeah, and I and I'm sure there were conversations that happened between them 
that expressed how much she hate, hated him. Yeah, like maybe Donna said something like, man, I, w- I wish he was dead. I wish he was dead and all our problems would be gone. Right. They could even been more conversations where Charles was around and it's like, Charles knows people. We can we can end this real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't want to push me. He doesn't want to try me because I know people and I have money and we can end the situation really fast if he doesn't want to work with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They offered him, as you said already, mm-hmm. they offered him a million dollars. He turned it down. So they were running out of options. So anyways, these people only know how to use money or force, honestly, especially in that position where you're used to never hearing the word no. Well, when you're used to getting your own way and always winning. Yes. So so they don't like that when you're used to always getting what you want. It's hard to accept when someone says no. Don't you think Wendy would know that about her family, though? And kind of even before it happened, she might worry about that. And in that case, if she was worried that it could happen, should she not have warned Dan or, I don't know, done something? Well, that's a whole nother thing as far as culpability. But everything you just said, I agree with. Like, she knows her family. She knows how they felt about this. And I think all that's running through her mind during this interview. Like, they really, like, no, no, no. I know you guys as officers hear how parents and wives and ex-husbands don't get along and they don't like each other. But this is really bad. (laughs) This is really bad. And my brother has made comments about killing him already. And my mom didn't say, don't say that. So I'm concerned that something happened here. And I think there may be some indications of that if you're in the camp of, Wendy knew her family and knew what they were capable of, but may not be directly involved. Or, as you have said multiple times, this could be just one big act Yeah, where she's making it look like, even though I know they're involved, I just want to – this is self-preservation. I'm separating myself from this situation. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, if, if that's the plan, it, it worked flawlessly, right? Because she's so far. She's, she's out and about, uh, uh, you know, I think it was just a few weeks after Dan died. She changed the, the boys' names, the her boy's sons, name. yep. from Markel to Adelson. I don't believe she's in Tallahassee anymore. I think she's in South Florida. So Wendy got everything she wanted, but has, you know, has also her freedom, which her mother and her brother do not have at this point. So that's right. Okay, so during this interview, Wendy also mentions that Dan Markell would not have done this to himself, which I don't think anybody <laughs> was thinking that she, that he did, or else why would she be there and be questioned about her alibi? You know, at the beginning of the interview, Detective Isom is like, I want to, you know, see where you were today. If Dan did this to himself, I don't know why they would be asking her those questions, but... Well, at that point, she he had only said there was a gunshot, that he was shot. He didn't say yes, he was shot correct. by someone, which is, again, nice trick by him or a nice move by him. She could be just playing the game where she's like, oh, you know, he wouldn't do this to himself. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, she says, listen, Dan, we're not doing this to himself. He's a very positive person. He even has a new girlfriend. And this new girlfriend was a law professor from NYU named Amy Adler. Now, in fact, both Dan and Wendy had moved on. They were both dating other people or seeing other people after the divorce. And Amy Adler, Dan's girlfriend, was a big deal in the Big Apple. And she seemed to have a list of credentials that matched those of Dan Markell and Wendy Adelson. She was very successful, well-known. And it seemed also that Wendy may have been feeling that she had left her husband only for him to end up with someone that she may have had some envy towards. You know, maybe Wendy was hoping that Dan would end up with somebody less impressive than she was, and he ended up with somebody, you know, probably on their same level. And uh, there is evidence that Wendy had done some Googling 
and before Dan's murder and had looked up Amy Adler multiple times. So she's obviously knowing about Amy. She's interested about her. She wants to know more about her. And you could say that's just because this woman's going to be around your kids. Sure. And, you know, she says something in this next clip we're going to play you that definitely comes off as kind of salty, but then she'll, she kind of covers it up with like a compliment afterwards. Because remember, at this time, Wendy Adelson is, you know, in her mid-30s, and she mentioned something about Dan's new girlfriend, Amy, and Amy's age. You don't have a number for Amy. You do, you do not have a contact number for her. But you know she's a professor at NYU. Yeah. You know that, that her and Danny have been seeing each other and that she stayed here from the end of June to the 1st of July. Just... At least two days, maybe. Yeah. 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 And she met the children. Yeah, and she met a few friends in town, too. And you don't know anything about her ex? No. I know she was married. Right. Um, and she has children? She has a son. In New York? In New York. Okay. She's a, a son. Um, I think he's 14. Okay. Um, Do you know how old Amy is? She's 50. She's 50? Yeah. She doesn't look 50. She's very beautiful. <laughs> She is not that you can't be beautiful and fifty, but she looks really young. She's very pretty and accomplished. And, um, you you know her date of birth? I only know that she is fifty. I don't because I was looking her up one time. Feeling. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, so she's fifty. She goes by Amy Adler. Her middle initial is M. M. Okay. So that, like, if you looked her, oh my God, if you looked her up on. The, the law school website, you'd find her that way. Okay. Her brother's famous. He's like a famous fashion designer. So I think they spend a lot of weekends like in the Hamptons and she lives in the city and lives like, you know, good, good life. Okay. You're so hard. You really are so hard. Like I just watched that clip and I was so set up to see something a certain way. And I watched it and it was totally innocent. But if I is it totally innocent, you don't know women, man. You don't know women. And we have a mainly female (laughs) audience. And I would like them to weigh in right now. Tell me that what she said, weigh in in, what she what she said. Oh, she's 50. And then he's like, she's 50. And she's like, "Mm hmm. And then she realizes she's being catty. And she's like, but she doesn't look 50. She's beautiful. Not that you can't be beautiful at 50, but like, "Ah." and then she starts talking. Oh, they they summer in the Hamptons. She lives in the city. She lives a good life. She sounds jealous. Like, I'm stuck here in Tallahassee because that's where Dan wants to be. But the woman he ends up being with ends up wanting the same life, the same big city, glamorous life that I wanted. But I'm stuck in Tallahassee with this bitch, you know, oh kind of like that. Like, you don't understand <laughs> oh women word. and the passive aggressive way that they will try to tear each other down. Like, you just don't get it. So you look at that. It's completely innocent. And I do not believe that it was. I doubt she was scoping her out because I. Obviously, she wanted yeah, to she's like, you can look on sure. the law, the yeah, law she knew exactly school. Where to yeah, go. She, she's like, if you want to do this, if you, her middle initial is this. <laughs> like, yep. She's like, I looked yeah. her up once. No, you didn't. You looked her up more than once, my friend. All I right. Up the brother. She ain't got no problem throwing her family under the bus, but she's trying to make it sound like, I just looked her up one time. She doesn't want herself to look bad. She doesn't want herself to look like an insecure, jealous ex-wife. And yet I think she still may have been. Pause the video and way down below. Yes, I want to hear. Okay, but Wendy, Wendy shouldn't have been jealous technically because she had also started dating another man who happened to also be a professor at FSU. He was a social work professor, and his name is Jeffrey 
LaCase or LaCasse. I think it's LaCasse. But Jeff's name was brought up during Wendy's police interview, at which time Wendy claimed that she had taken a one week break from LaCasse because they fought often due to his jealousy. Now, Jeffrey LaCasse would be interviewed by the police on three separate occasions. And it feels like every time he talked to them, going into his testimony during the trials, he became more and more aware of how strange his relationship with Wendy Adelson was, how strange Wendy was and how suspicious things had happened that at the time when they were happening, they didn't raise a ton of red flags. But after Dan Markell was murdered, he began putting the pieces together. And I loved I loved listening to Jeffrey LaCasse's interviews and watching him testify during the trial because he's there. He's ready to spill all the tea and understand that this person is educated, not only educated in, you know, general, but in psychology. Right. This is his his whole thing. And he's aware of how things present like as far as personality traits present to an outside eye. Jeffrey LaCasse claims that he and Wendy began seeing each other in the fall of 2013. And by September of 2014, she was officially his girlfriend. But it also felt like it was a lot of work for him to get her from point A to point B. Like he wanted to settle down. He was sprung with Wendy from the minute he met her. It was like obsessed. He loved her. He wanted to be with her. He saw no one else. But she was a little slower in warming up and actually committing herself to him, and she was seeing other people. The official relationship between Jeff and Wendy would be short-lived, ending less than a year later in July of 2014, the same month Dan Markell would be shot and killed in his garage. I find Jeffrey LaCase to be a very interesting individual. His testimony is some of the most interesting and riveting throughout the trials. Wendy and Jeff had been set up through a mutual friend. They'd bonded over their shared trauma of marrying the wrong people. Make no mistake, Jeff LaCase was absolutely head over heels for Wendy Adelson, but he never quite felt like she was being honest and upfront with him, and this would eventually lead to some issues. Jeff said that he and Wendy really did enjoy each other's company, but for nine months, Wendy was wrapped up with her divorce. It was all she could talk about, in addition to talking constantly about how much she hated Tallahassee and how much of a monster Dan Markell was. She never, you, know, you guys know the background, she never wanted to be here, ever. I mean, she came here with Markell. Um, they're supposed to be here a year, then move on. He had a job in Miami. He was an asshole, so he lost it. He said, no, I'll go back to FSU and stay there. They're stuck here. So he's doing great. He's the Dale Lombard, you know, Sandy Dillenberg, professor of law and all that stuff. Wendy gets a shitty job that she doesn't really like, doesn't like the area. She's doing her best to make it work, but she hates it. Never wanted to live here. Never thought she'd live here. This is all from her, right? Yeah, it's all straight from her. Are you kidding me? I'm her boyfriend trying to convince her this is a great place to stay. Get a new attitude. This is a daily conversation, you know? I'm like, I love Tallahassee. Moved here on purpose, you know? right. <laughs> So this is a daily conversation. Like, uh, look, like I was pretty, you know? <laughs> you know? And her whole thing is, no, I don't, I still don't. Because I'm trying, I'm trying, but it's, you know, I never, I didn't choose it. Okay. I didn't choose it, and that makes it hard. I heard that and she loves Miami. She just loves it. But when we're down there, she just lights up. It's a whole different thing. The reason for their divorce. How did oh. she get to this point? Oh, Danny was, uh, give you a couple examples of Mark Hell. Um, they would drive from here to Miami as a family. Oh, this is before they had kids even, but even as a family, both. Um, and Danny would work on his computer. He had one of those converters so he could plug your laptop in when he was required to drive. I mean, Mark Hell's rule was, you may not speak from Tallahassee to Miami. From Tallahassee to Miami. And she said she would be like, Dick, shh, shh, I'm working. There's a total control freak. Emotionally abusive, controlled the finances, just ran her shit. Just, and 
and I don't know if he hit her or not, but I can tell you, if you just raise your voice to her like that, she flinches like she's got her ass kicked yesterday. So I've wondered about violence. I don't know. Um, she says no, but people lie. Wendy lies a lot. Um, so he was pretty mean to her. And as she went to get married, every friend she had was begging her, don't marry this guy, he's the biggest asshole we've ever met. And she got caught up in the Harvard Law and elitism and all this kind of stuff. And she was in a bad place. Made a bad decision, got married to a guy. So she, it was a bad marriage from day one. I mean, pretty much, according to her at least. By the second year, it was awful. And then having kids will fix it, you know, people try that. So uh, he's also an absent father. I mean, he came home nine o'clock every night, she claims, and that was play with the kids for 10 minutes. That was it. She did everything, kind of like a house slave. And then uh, when he went to go get divorced, he tried to get 100% custody of the kids. That's so, if you read these legal documents that he's filed, I don't know if you're bad, but they give you insight into like, it's pretty crazy. It was I haven't had the time, but yeah. I will. Yeah, it's a, a lot of lunacy shines through. Um, but I'm sure he had his side of it too. I'm sure he did, and I'm, uh, well, that's what I wonder about is with all the stuff I talked about with Wendy with me. Uh, I mean, he was controlling. Well, maybe he's trying to keep his wife in control. I don't know. You know. Right. Uh, anything? Did she ever tell you anything uh, concerning any incidents when, when uh, Danny and Charlie were together or Danny and any other family? I mean, was it kind of like, hey, you know, Danny, you sleep over here in the doghouse or something. You don't no, no, no. It's more like uh, the family hate. This is why she introduced me to her parents. She said last time that it was so awkward because it went so badly because they all hated Danny. Probably um, hated Danny. Her parents hated Danny. For, do you know why? Um, he is a dim person. He is so arrogant. He is so un it was so unlikable. He would just talk down to people. He was one of these Harvard guys. Okay. And it was just like, when I met him in that awkward meeting, I was early, He was I was late, he was early, and we met for the first time. He insulted me three, four times in really? ten sentences, just in subtle, like, haughty, snobby kind of ways. Like, oh, are you a lawyer? You know, and just little comments here and there, you know. Um, so he was passive aggressive about it. He wasn't in your face, he wasn't yelling, but he insulted. He would just tell you, say, you're stupid. Okay. I mean, that's just how he talked. He thought he should have been. Basically, subtly insulting you the entire conversation yeah yeah he did i mean as far as uh wendy and him he did all kinds of little things to intimidate her i don't know if he knew he was doing it but she was scared of him i would go with her to tell him i would go with her to functions that he was at to kind of reassure her and run interference because she would get heart palpitations and stuff around him and it seemed completely out of the scope of normal i got an ex-wife i can get in front of her not a big deal. Um, for her, it was like, will you please come with me to soccer practice or whatever it was? Oh, swim lessons two weeks, three weeks ago. Will you come with me to swim, swim lessons? Because Danny's going to be there. And it just, she just freaked out. Did you go? I did go. Was he there? Yeah, he was there. Was everything okay between you and him? Well, yeah, everything was fine. Um, we kind of moved through a phase where at first we were real friendly, shaking hands, and then the guy like, hey, you got me to shake your hand. Different sides of this thing, you know, that kind of thing. But it was always reasonably friendly. Did she introduced you to him as your boyfriend, your current boyfriend? No. no. Friend? I don't remember what she, she said. This is Jeff, I think. Okay. That was a point of contention between us. She didn't call me her boyfriend, though, very recently. So oh, okay. I, I think she might have had other ones. I think that might have been the issue. Okay. Maybe Dan Sack was also her boyfriend. I don't know. Okay. All right. So for some context, he mentions a name at the end of his inner. Well, at the end of that clip, Dan Sack, we are going to talk about that next episode. Um, we're going to talk about who Dan Sack was. But um, 
What you need to understand is this is Jeffrey Lacasse's first police interview. And it's just a couple of days. It's July 23rd, so a couple of days after Dan's killed. And he's saying, well, Dan was a monster and he was this and he did this and he was definitely emotionally and verbally abusive to Wendy. But what you have to understand is he's getting all of this from Wendy. So we don't know um, what, you know, if, or if Dan was, you know, abusive in any way at all. This is just what he's getting from Wendy. And he even Jeff says in this, Wendy lies a lot. He says, oh, you know, she maybe maybe there was physical abuse, but she never said there was. But people lie. Wendy lies a lot. But even when he's talking about Dan being a monster and he admits that, like, oh, according to her, he doesn't say Wendy could be lying about this because at this point, he's still very much under Wendy Adelson's spell. But you'll see as his interviews progress, he will come back and he'll be like, you know, on second thought, now that I think about it and now that I've talked to a lot of people that actually did know Dan and were involved in his life, it seems like everybody really loved him. And I don't even the person that I'm hearing from everyone who Dan Markell was is not the person that Wendy described him to be. So now I'm all like for clumped because I don't even know what 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 I've been told is the truth and what's a lie. So right here, he's going hard. He's only met Dan personally a handful of times. And he says Dan talked down to him, passive aggressively insulted him. That could just be Dan's personality. It seemed many people said that about Dan. It could also be that he's sleeping with his now soon to be ex-wife. And it's like, well, we're not going to be best buddies. You know, we're not going to be we're not going to be best friends. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's just a, a weird iciness between them because I it's mean, like expect? we aren't on the same side. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But I, as I was listening to that interview, I'm glad you said it. That's what I'm saying. Like, he doesn't experience any of these things that he's describing. It's all from Wendy. So you have to take that into account when you're you're listening to this, because if you were to take it at face value, you'd say, wow, Dan's a horrible person. And I'm not saying it's not true. But what I am saying is that all of this, it doesn't seem like Wendy was sharing a lot with Jeff, only what she wanted him only, to know. In yes, fact, you could selectively. see some passive... There was some passive aggressiveness in his interview as well, mm -hmm. where he would throw a jab like it looks like she had other boyfriends as well. Yep. You know, so it seems like he was kind of in the dark and maybe Wendy was more using him for when, what she needed. Hey, I need you to come to swim lessons. I need someone there. Maybe it's to make Dan jealous. I don't know. But it, it doesn't seem like he was really in the know. He only knew what Wendy wanted him to know. And so her, obviously her perspective on things is going to be different than others. So Jeff, I believe Jeff's marriage ended you know, a few years before Dan and Wendy got divorced. So he's been single for a little while. He's been dating. He hasn't found anybody that he connects with until Wendy. Wendy's separation was still fairly fresh. So to be fair to Wendy, Jeff does a lot of talking about how she didn't want to commit, about how she wasn't always being upfront with him, about how it took a lot to get her to call him her boyfriend. But she was also freshly out of a, a marriage that didn't seem she was super happy. And so she probably was a little reticent to settle back down right away and I to get into something. Yeah, I can't blame her. Can't blame her at all for that. But he, Jeff, is like, I'm in love with this woman. This is all I want for the rest of my life. Why can't she see it? And why can't she be on the same page? And this frustrated him. Jeffrey Lacasse said he felt that he and Wendy were living their lives together and moving forward in a committed relationship. He'd met her children. He spent most nights at her house. He'd met some members of Wendy's family. She was going to fly to California with him in July to meet his parents. And of course, Wendy often confided in Jeff about the issues plaguing her personal life. 
during the time that you were together with Ms. Adelson, did you become aware of her recent divorce? I did. Um, on our first couple of dates, that was the topic of conversation. That's in the fall of 2013. All right. And did you get an impression as to what type of divorce that was or how it would be characterized? An extremely contentious divorce. All right. And during the time that you dated her, were you aware of any specific ongoing litigation with her ex-husband? I was, particularly in February of 2014, um, because uh, Ms. Adelson would react uh, badly as that litigation proceeded. Yes, ma'am. All right. And what specific litigation was the, was the topic of discussion in your relationship with her? Can you, can you restate that, please? What, was there a specific litigation that was the topic of discussion? I recall a motion filed in February of 2014 where Danny had made some accusations that seemed serious, and Ms. Adelson reacted poorly. As a matter of fact, every time he filed something, she tended to react poorly. Specifically, did you have knowledge through your relationship with Mrs. Adelson about her, about a motion that had been filed by her ex-husband that was requesting that her mother not have contact with the children unless it was supervised? Yes, I do recall that. All right. And was that one of the items that she was really upset over? Yes, there were many, but that was one for sure. Okay, so fair to say she took that litigation or that filing very seriously? Yeah, she took every filing and every point and every motion very seriously was my impression. What about her mother, Donna Adelson? Do you have any personal knowledge as to how Donna Adelson took that particular filing about her having contact with the kids? No, I do not. Did you know Dan Markell? I didn't know Dan Markell. I met Dan Markell on a handful of occasions for a few minutes on each occasion. Any issues between the two of you? Um, no. I mean, he was my new girlfriend's ex-husband, so I was listening to Wendy Adelson uh, describe him in terrible terms regularly. But in terms of us having an actual conflict, no, ma'am. No, no negative words ever spoken between the oh, two no, of you? Oh, no. Always very polite and cordial to one another when we interacted. Were you specifically aware of the litigation concerning Wendy Adelson's desire to relocate to South Florida with her children? Yes, that was a big topic of conversation on our first couple of dates because it, it had just been denied a few months previous. Okay. Why, if you know, did Wendy Adelson want to relocate to South Florida? She despised living in Tallahassee and wanted to live in Miami. And what was in Miami? Well, her parents, um, well, there's multiple reasons. Chief among those reasons would be the fact that her parents and brother were down there. Um, How would you characterize her relationship with her parents and brother? Extremely close. And of course, Wendy also had to tell Jeff the funny hitman TV joke. Did Wendy Adelson ever make a joke in your presence about her TV? Yes, ma'am, she did. Um, in October of 2013, the first time I had went to her house on Aqua Ridge and we were going to watch a movie. Uh, she made a joke, which she characterized as her brother's joke, but she was the one telling it that, uh, you know, her brother had looked into hiring a hitman, but a TV was cheaper. And I heard her repeat that joke at a later occasion. All right. So you heard that joke a couple times? At least twice. Yes, ma'am. All right. But then things in the relationship began going downhill, mainly because Jeff felt that Wendy was not being faithful and she was involved with more than one man. And this left Jeffrey LaCase with a not-so-positive image of Wendy Adelson. And honestly, he didn't have a very positive image of her family either. I didn't know about Zach for nine months and I was her boyfriend for six. 
So I've always, at least on him, I've always suspected there's a guy in South Florida I would know about. Maybe that's just a paranoid boyfriend. Yeah. I wouldn't believe Wendy when she says, I'm with Jeff. I would, yeah, you got to start to ground zero. She lies. I mean, there's been a lot of men since September. Oh, okay. me. So, um, so I, I just wonder if there's a guy in South Florida. She always drops out of sight when she's down there. Phone calls not return. Voicemail. Did, did you go down there? No, she doesn't let me go. That's why I think there's a guy down there. Okay. I've been seeing a therapist since about, uh, I don't have any major mental health problems, but just to try to deal with Wendy, I was seeing my therapist I used to see when I was going through my divorce. So um, I was thinking about what we talked about in there. I mean, I've spent like $2,000 on therapy trying to figure out how to deal with Wendy. She's been really hard to handle. Um, and I realized I, I never put it together, but um, he for months has been concerned that she's a sociopath. And I didn't tell you guys that before. I, love, I still love Wendy. I was under her spell. She called me tomorrow if I go back to her. But there's a lot of stuff that, as I look back, is really strange to give you a couple examples. Well, I guess one of the things I worry about is Wendy has this public persona. And uh, she's a very good actress. And she's very charismatic and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and she knows a lot of people. You know, everybody in Tallahassee knows Wendy. You probably discovered that already. I mean, she's in every social circle. You know, she's very social butterfly-esque and out there and stuff. But in terms of people that know her intimately, have spent like a lot of time with her and seen behind the curtain, you know, uh -huh. I think it's uh, Markel, me, and maybe that sack guy in the last 12, 13 years. I mean, she doesn't, you know, you know what I mean? So some of the stuff I had seen was pretty crazy stuff. I mean, no sense of guilt, no empathy, hypersensitivity to criticism. When I said, hey, you cheated, I mean, that's fucked up. She would not apologize. She would not say she felt bad. She would not say she made a mistake. Um, she's a total pathological liar, and I, I feel bad saying all this because I still love her. She has these flaws, and I would have stayed with her. But uh, if you look back at Markel's legal documents, he's constantly talking about her systematic pattern of deception, how she lies all the time. And she told me once, I have a really hard time telling the truth when it's inconvenient or unpleasant. I lie all the time. I mean, she said that to me. And I don't know that many people that, that know her that well. Mm -hmm. um, when you see behind the curtain, she's a total, total train wreck. My psychologist was saying, man, she just meets the checklist of a narcissistic sociopath, go down the list. So, obviously, she's already a person of interest and all that kind of stuff, but I thought you should know that my, I'm in mental health myself. I'm a, right. So, um, I never saw that when I was under the spell, but I've had people trying to convince me for three or four months you're dating someone who has real severe sociopathic tendencies. Right. So, high functioning and attractive, but still. You know that yeah so that, that's something I just thought I should tell you so we have this big fight in Gainesville and I really confront her I'm really hard on her I'm, I'm pissed because I feel like I've been conned because I, you know, she's been calling me her boyfriend and all this kind of stuff and I don't know exactly what the relationship was with Zach but I found out enough that it was very clear that she was busted that she was juggling two guys in some form or fashion I don't know the details mm -hmm. I got the impression I was boyfriend number two is why I was pissed I mean there's not a, no picture on the Facebook page I noticed there wasn't even a picture of me in her house. And that's when I got really, really upset. I was like, this, come on, we've been dating nine months. This is bizarre, you know? Um, so I had it out with her in Gainesville. And then she went to South Florida for 14 days. The whole time she's down there, she's miserable and not that available. But we're talking about future-oriented stuff. We're talking about trying to get back together and desperate to see each other. It sucks that we're separated in this bad situation. And I can show you the text, like, can't imagine my life without you. God, I fucking miss you. I mean, these are like exact quotes, you know. Um, she gets back to town, we go on a date, 
And I said it was awkward, but they were holding each other, we're holding hands. It was a future orientation still. We're going to spend a lot of time together and work this out. That's what we had decided to do. And that was last Monday. It gets really strange from there, and it makes me suspicious. Maybe I'm just paranoid. But then on Tuesday, she called me at 2 or 3 in the afternoon. She said, I'm walked out of my house. We're going to see each other that night. And I say, okay, walked out of your house. What are you going to do? I try to get a key, but I probably need a locksmith. I said, oh, well, I'll come out, and we'll just hang out on your front porch and have our date there. And she's, like, super sweet and friendly, and it's like everything was okay, actually. She was like, I would love it if you would come keep me company, see in a little bit, call each other baby, this kind of stuff. Um, when I showed up to yoga, and, and ended up that she got into our house, we went to yoga together instead, and we just met there. When I showed up to yoga at 7, something was completely different. She was gone, I mean... And that might have been just her talking to her friend and says, dump him, and she decides it, and that's it. It may have nothing to do with your case. But I would be really curious to know if I was you, who she talked to between 3 and 7, because something happened where I seem to be irrelevant all of a sudden. And this has been this is after 15, 16 days mm-hmm. of her wanting us to, you know, let's just work this out. It just turned in a second. And then it gets a little stranger from there, actually. So, yeah, he said a lot of things, right? He said pretty much what... He was using the detective as his therapist. Yeah, I mean, he he spent $2,000 on therapy just to, like, figure out how Wendy had, like, completely, you know, brainwashed him. But he says, listen, she's she's got a public persona. She's a very good actress. But if you know her, if you see behind the curtain, you know she's a train wreck. She feels no guilt. She has no empathy, hypersensitive to criticism. She's a pathological liar. He says, she told me once. I have a hard time telling the truth. (laughs) And he's going through all of this and he's almost like realizing like, oh, what the hell did I get into here? And he says something specifically that we're going to go deeper into next episode, which is a specific day. Uh, Very shortly before Dan Markell was murdered, Wendy got locked out of her house Jeff comes over to keep her company. She gets back into her house. This is around three. Everything's fine. She's calling him baby. They're being very sweet to each other. And then he sees her at seven for yoga. And it was as if he was a a completely different person and she had completely turned off. And he's like, I would like to know who did she talk to between three and seven. Now, remember that because that is going to come back up. So what happened with Jeff and Wendy and this other person he's talking about who's Daniel Sack? Um, Jeff went to get coffee one day. And he found Wendy there with another man. This was Daniel Sack. Wendy told Jeff they were just friends. And he was like, don't see that guy anymore. Now, they fought about this. And then Wendy went to South Florida for two weeks. So Jeff and Wendy are separated for 14 days while she's visiting her family in South Florida. And during that time, they're texting back and forth about missing each other, making plans to work through their issues, focusing on the future. Wendy comes back to Tallahassee. They've got two dates, one at a coffee shop, and then they went to that yoga class together. And Jeff describes this as being super awkward because as they were leaving the yoga class, Jeff told Wendy that he loved her, and then she responded, I know. And then two hours after leaving yoga, Jeff received an email with a no-contact order. And this order told him that he could not call or see Wendy for seven days. This happened on July 15th, just three days before Dan Markell was murdered. What point did she send you the email? That, that, was, that, that, that was that night. Tuesday night. That was Tuesday okay. night, which I suspect was already in her head. Because well, that may have been, she may have came to a finalization that she was going to do that. She may have. She may have. I mean, I don't want to make this all about me. There's bigger things here. But I didn't notice some things. I mean, so she's done with me, right? Okay. 
I'm looking at her. It's not right. Something's wrong here. I walk out to the car, and it's really awkward. Small talk, you know. I can tell she thinks that she's done. But she asked me if I was going to be here this weekend. Now, she's done. Why should she give a shit if I'm here Friday? She asked me directly, are you going to be here Friday? And I said, uh, maybe it's up in the air. And it wasn't up in the air. I just didn't want to seem desperate. And I was just going to stay here and not take my trip. If Wendy was willing to see me is what that was about. But she's, I, she was really interested. Oh, why is it up in the air? Oh, because, you know, here's Ann, there's a thing. Oh, okay, well, okay, talk to you. And this was prior to her sending you the Prior to sending me the email. And the last thing I ever heard from Wendy, last thing, last words I exchanged with Wendy are, were, are you going to be here Friday? thought you should know that it made me nothing but it was kind of strange to me then the no contact order was also kind of strange to mm -hmm. me. Um, usually you just send someone an email and say hey I need some time to think she was very strict about that no contact thing it was almost like she didn't want to be in front of me you know I just busted her for well, she probably didn't want you to try and uh, talk her out of it maybe I don't know well, that's my thinking maybe Maybe she knew something was going to go down and didn't want me in front of her because I read her pretty well. And I uh, just busted around a whole host of lies, you know. So Jeff says that she had asked him, Wendy had asked him, are you going to be around on Friday? And he had plans to go out of town and see some friends, but he told her, I don't know, it's up in the air still, like I'm not sure. And he's wondering now in the aftermath, because Friday's the day that Dan Markell is murdered, why did she want to know if I was going to be around on Friday? Why did she want? Why did she give me this no contact order that just happened to cover the time that Dan Markell would be killed? Because did she not want me around her? Did she not want me to see? Did she not want me to hear conversations? He's wondering these things now. But the real meat and potatoes of Jeffrey Lacasse's statements would come when he began discussing what could have possibly happened to Dan Markell. Who could have possibly killed him? And when he started talking about, you know, what had transpired between himself and Wendy, what had transpired between himself and family members of Wendy. And he basically said, I think that you should look at these people, specifically Wendy's brother, Charlie Adelson. So LaCasse had a lot to say about the Adelson family dynamics and his suspicion that not only could Charlie Adelson have been involved with Dan's death, but possibly Wendy could have as well. And that's what we're going to pick up next time. Yeah, it's a great episode. It's a long episode, so I'll, I'll keep it tight at the end here. A lot to unpack, a lot to digest. I'm sure a lot of you have a, uh, many opinions on this case at this point. That's why we wanted to cover it. And I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of you in the comments are responding positively to us going back to the minutia of these cases. Not that we got away from it, but... I really feel like this series is in line with like the true crime weekly fashion, yeah. what we do. Yeah. And it's long, but it's, this case deserves it. There's so many layers to it. So we'll continue on. I'm not going to give any uh, foreshadowing, any, uh, any, any spoilers. I'm not going <laughs> to give any spoilers. I'm not going to take any heat. Obviously, it's a new year. Happy to be back. And uh, we're ready to go. And uh, by the way, also, probably should have said this at the top of the episode, but Criminal Coffee has just been doing amazing. Like you guys have been, I saw your t-shirt that just made me think of it. It's been absolutely incredible from a data perspective, how, and obviously through the holidays, how sales have increased, which is allowing us to raise even more money. We're already in conversations with uh, laboratories for the next case. Just so much going on for 2024. Can't wait to get it started. We're excited. And we will be back next week with Crime Weekly News. 
on Wednesday, and then obviously part four of the Markel series on Friday or Sunday if you're watching on YouTube. Any final words from you, Stephanie Harlow? You haven't talked a lot tonight, so I figured you might have a couple things to say. Are you being sarcastic about me now? I'm saying it in a good way. You've done a lot of the talking. There's so much exposition here. Like I've weighed in on the things I can and all that, but like you're you're carrying a lot of the weight. You're talking a lot. You're having to narrate this story. So no, I'm saying it in a complimentary way. I mean, I think we just really need to listen to the people who are closest to Wendy. I think what Jeffrey LaCase says. Because they support your opinion? Well, my opinion is based on the, the, the oh, my, my opinion is based on not only what they're saying, but just like, you know, if you're if you have Jeff like a, is a little biased, too, though, at this point, you have to admit that. I don't think it, Jeff Jeff LaCase even knew where he stood when he was talking I hope to this his name's police. LaCase because you call them LaCasse, LaCase, whatever. LaCasse, listen, I think it might be LaCasse, LaCasse. Listen, either way, Jeff over here, Jeff, Jeff, yeah. Jeff, Jeffrey. Um, I think that you will see because we're going to go more into what he has to say in the coming episode. And as his interviews progress and he starts thinking about things and then he's going back in his phone, and he's reading things and he's looking at dates, he's putting it together. All right. There's people out there on the Internet calling him like the Sherlock Holmes professor because he's oh, putting, yeah, he's oh putting, God. dude, he's putting things together and he's got like this murder board in his head and he's got like the yarn and it's it's going from one picture to the next and it's like falling into place. And I think he becomes like progressively almost annoyed with himself that he was so sprung for this girl because he's like, how did I not see it? Like, people warned me, you know? People yeah. people warned me. My therapist thinks she's a high-functioning sociopath. And I'm over here. I'd still go back to her. And so he's frustrated for sure. And you could tell. They weren't in the same book. They weren't in the same page. They weren't even in the same book when it came to what a relationship was. Wendy really didn't want to be tied down. All Jeff wanted was Wendy. And so this is going to cause issues, even if she wasn't stepping out on him, the the, the difference in energies that they're bringing to the to the relationship. But definitely a different dynamic there. One wants to not go on their business trips to stay with them. The other one's following no contact orders, restraining orders. Right. And the timing of that no contact order was very interesting, as Jeff points out. Considering it was against him, it would be interesting now, wouldn't it? I mean, why? Why would you go on a date with somebody, go to yoga with them, and then and then a few hours later send a no contact order via email? I think he said something that uh, could be also used against them because it's true for everyone. He's judging Dan Markell based on the narrative that that Wendy Adelson was painting, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're judging Wendy Adelson on the narrative that 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 Jeffrey Lacase or Lacasse or is painting of her based on hearsay coming from his therapist, according to him. Well, we're not completely judging Wendy based only on that, right? Solely on no, that. No, no, you're, ba- you're judging her on her a lot, obviously. I mean, I'm looking at things in a totality. Yeah, yes. and I and I do say like. Was she involved with Dan's murder or not? I couldn't tell you, right? I right. could not tell. What I can like t- what I can tell you is something about her rings inauthentic. It, bo- it bothers it's, you big time. She's inauthentic. She's manipulative. I'm just you gonna play see, the other side and say you I like her. See the way holiday. you don't. You see the way she switches things up when she's with the the police officers, and then when the victim's advocate comes in, she chameleons to appeal to whoever is sitting across from her. And this is a very valuable trait to have for a woman, for a human being. But she does it in a way that seems so seamless as if she just doesn't know how to walk around without wearing a mask of what she thinks another person wants to see. That can be concerning. Once again, 
doesn't mean she's she knew of the murder or took part in it. Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that. But it means that maybe she's not the most upfront, honest, transparent person in the world. That's all That's I fair. will say. Yes. That's fair. I mean, we're about halfway through this series, right? Would you say maybe six yes. parts for this one? Five? Yes. So coming to the halfway point, where I stand right now on this one, it's it's pretty straightforward. I, I don't necessarily think that she's just walking around the world oblivious. I think she knew her family very well. And she knew what they were potentially capable of, especially based on what they were saying to her behind closed doors and text messages and emails. And I think at minimum, when she got the news about Dan Markell, her first thought was, oh, my God, I think my family's involved with this. Now, obviously, she's not going to say that outright to detectives, but at minimum, that's where I stand on it. Now, I'll be interested to see where I go for these next three or four parts, because being complicit isn't a form of defense. Like if she knew what they were about to do and she was they were planning to do it right in front of her and she just pretended that it wasn't happening so she could play this angle. That doesn't mean she's not responsible in some way, shape or form as well it, it, to get to the point where she was pulling the strings or planning the what was going to happen and helping and assisting in that is a much different conversation. Yes. And so we'll see where it goes. We, pre, we If you guys are here for the ride, we're here to go on it with you. We're going to be, this is a long We're on the ride episode. regardless, man. I mean, yeah, we're you're, you're here. You're stuck. Yeah. Hey, the doors are locked. Yeah. You're seat belted in. All right. Not, Stephanie's in the back seat with you in a headlock while I'm driving. You're not going nowhere. <laughs> you're driving? Yeah, you're not driving. You're driving the ride? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's probably better if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be careful, though, with the dynamic. You know, you could be driving. You are right. If it's your car, and women you can drive, drive. You Actually, can drive. I never want to drive, man. I know. You'll be, fact, you just want to be chauffeured around. For if sure. anything like ever happened with me and my husband, I would just hire a driver. I don't. I don't want to drive ever. Yeah, I want to be. For I want to be driven. I want to be in charge of the radio. I want to be able to scroll through social media while I'm traveling to my destination, or do some work, or answer emails, or whatever. I ain't trying to drive. Unless I have no place to go and I just want to drive and listen to music and then I love to drive. But if I have a destination that I have to be at, I don't want to drive. So you good. You drive. All right. I'll drive. All right, guys. We appreciate you being here. Everyone stay safe out there. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.